Why is it that every time I bring up my favorite movie or song, y'all call my shit corny? You act like I don't have no taste and no flavor. I'm a Luddite or some bullshit like that. What kind of particular shit is that? It's the shit I like. That's what I like. That's my type of shit. You know, why don't you know just say something nice? Showtime. Welcome to the Say Something Nice podcast, your home for in-depth news discussions, reviews, and deep dives into movies, television shows, and music, with a special emphasis on diversity and the Black experience. You can find our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever else podcasts can be found. And you can also find us on all social media under the handle at SSN Podcast or at our website, SSNPodcast.com. Are we going to play all the songs? We're not going to play them. We're going to talk about them. I can't play them on this program. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> but and I it's will, an awesome playlist, by the way. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And we'll go through. Uh, so the first one, of course, is Money. That's What I Want by Bear Strong. Their first really big hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we mentioned that. I just, want to point, I just want to point something else uh-huh. out, Brandon. That, you know, I have a very... I have a, a, a strange relationship with 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 music but um what i did is i put all of the music that you um you shared with us on the google drive uh-huh. i loaded it up onto my phone and then i put it in my car whilst i was driving that's good <laughs> and um and i actually had a really really good time see <laughs> made me most of these songs made me especially the first half made me think of of when I was a little kid and um, my mom would uh, clean the house on Saturdays. It was like a big deal to clean there the house. There you go. And clean she, your house music. Right. And she would turn the transistor radio up. Come on, transistor and, radio on the island. Yeah. yeah so she, <laughs> the transistor radio, would, she would put it on the it. porch. She would put it on the porch so it will get the best um, reception. And you point point the speakers inside the house, mm-hmm. um, and it it was the music that she would listen to while she cleaned she cleaned the house. And um, I just it 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 made me feel some type of way. <laughs> it, it gave me back memories. So yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna see. That's preliminary. Really yeah. Okay. So money. That's what I want by Barry Strong. We already mentioned that Barry Gordy and his um. His second wife, Raynoma um, Singleton, Gordy, were singing on the song together. Raynoma um, Gordy was sort of, you know, she was Barry Gordy's right-hand person in the early, late 50s, early 60s. Um, the reason why they don't mention her too much anymore is because um, Barry Gordy entrusted her to run a New, York, a New York office from Motown. And by this time, they were sort of kind of on the outs as a couple. And her get back to him allegedly... I don't know if it's super true or not. This is what I've read from more than one place, was that she um, started bootlegging the records in New York to make her own money on the side. And when they that found out... True. Okay, well, yeah, when they found out, they dismissed her. And they sort of kind of erased her from, yeah. like, big parts of Motown history. Yeah. Um, she was... Uh, the label that she was dealing with was a label called Pickwick. Okay. Oh, and, I'm familiar with that label. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the first one. Uh, next up is Shop Around by the Miracles. We already mentioned they re-recorded it at 4 o'clock in the morning. I've heard both versions. The first version is fine. It's just slower. And Barry Gordy wanted something like more upbeat. And, you know, like, and the upbeat version is the one that became the million seller. 
Uh, the miracles included, besides Smokey Robinson, they included uh, Pete Moore, who was in the, um, who's drafted the military during the early 60s. So if you see old footage of the miracles from that time, he's not there. He's like the shorter, stouter one with the mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, Bobby Rogers, who's the really, really tall guy, the really big, the guy who looks like me, basically, uh, with the glasses. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and um, Ronnie White, who's the guy with, um, like, the shorter guy who sort of kind of looks like your uncle. Uh, <laughs> and Claudette Robinson, who was in the group. Who recorded and recorded, studio, but yeah. not on tour after a while. Right, like, she didn't go on tour because she was having difficulty um, have conceiving. And yeah, so she they had a let, bunch of miscarriages. Right. Real, real quick side note. I saw her in the documentary last night. Mm-hmm. That looked good. She looks really good because she's got to be like 80-something. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, God damn. I'm like, who blood does she drink? Guys, <laughs> damn. She looked good as hell. Right. Like, she got to be at least 80. Yeah. Like, damn. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, Smokey. got to be at least 80. Smoke, yeah, Smokey. Smokey knew how to pick them, didn't he? Lord Jesus. Uh, well, hey, that guy made a lot of trouble. Because Smokey Robinson uh, in the 60s, he, what is the best equivalent of Smokey in the 60s that we have now? He was the Idris Elba of the 1960s. That's the best I can give you as a comparison. Women mm. went crazy for Smokey Robinson back then. And wow. he yeah. cheated. Go crazy for him now. Yeah, the, he, he cheated on Claude. He might have been the original one. To have him throwing panties on the stage. Yes. He Before cheated. Teddy? Before yeah, Teddy? I, I'm certain. He cheated on Claudette Before a Teddy. lot. And wow. she put up with it for decades. In 1986, she finally said, fuck it, and divorced him and left him. Well, I guess divorcing her, divorcing him helped her health. Yeah, like, all that stress <laughs> released. <laughs> um, he, she looked good on that show last night. I'm like, I say, what? I say, Claudette? The hell? She looked good. Yeah. I was like, I, I mean, that was one of the main takeaways I had last night. Like, that can't be. Goes to show you what what a family operation they were. Um, I believe one of their kids was named Tamla after the record label. The other one was hey, named yeah. Barry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Really? Yeah. Bar- Barry Robinson and mm-hmm. Tamla Robinson. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Smokey and Barry were like peas in a pod. They still Man. are. You saw the, the documentary last night. Yeah, They're- I saw that. They're they, they really good friends. I'm like, yeah. damn. That's interesting. Now, I will tell you one thing I heard as a footnote. Um, I know that I, I heard something about this, and maybe you can clear it up, Brandon. When Barry eventually did sell Motown, he put clauses into the contract that it would have to retain a certain amount of minority ownership. And I believe at this time, Stevie still owns his piece. I have never heard yeah. anything well, like Steve, that. Yeah. Well, the thing is, Stevie still owns his own publishing under, because it was under Joe Bet and Black Bull. Black Bull was Stevie's production of uh, um, uh, publishing arms starting like in 72. Yeah, El so, Toro Negro. Uh, El Toro Negro. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, yes. so uh, Black Bull was his publishing company. So Stevie still owns, uh, that's the reason why you don't hear a lot of his stuff being licensed out like that. A lot of the Motown stuff gets licensed out, not so much Stevie, because he's very proprietary about that. Okay. He's very proprietary. Yeah, I, I know. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next up, we have Peace Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. You know, their first number one hit on the pop charts, which you know, mm, very black, the black group, right? What happened? 
the black group. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Cause about, like the Beatles later covered it. Yeah. No, I, I know. I'm kidding. Yeah. And also, the Marvelettes did sound blacker than some of the other Motown um, um, women groups. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, like uh, with the, who was the original lead singer? Uh, um, Gla- um, Glass Horton was the lead singer at um, this time. Glass Horton. And later on, they, um, it became, God, what's her name? Why am I blanking? Wanda something. Wanda something. There's an ensemble uh, Wanda, Wanda, Wanda. What, what was it? Oh, what? damn it. I know it. I know it. Yes, because she was the It was Wanda Rogers, wasn't it? Hold on. Hold on. I'm looking it up. There's uh, actually, um, th- there's an unsung done on the Marvelettes on TV One. They had an episode. Wanda Young. Wanda Young. Yeah. Yeah, I guess she became Wanda Rogers. Yeah. She, did she marry, For those did she marry Bobby? I, you know how Motown, they always be marrying yeah, she married Bobby Rogers. I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like when, like when. Yeah, it's one. It's both. It's Wanda Young Rogers. She married Bobby Rogers from the Miracles. Yeah. Uh, when um, and she's the she's the lead voice you hear on things like um, "Don't Mess with Bill," "Catching by the Game," yeah, "Baby Must Be a Magician," stuff right? Like that. Like the later stuff when it's not. Gladys on the early stuff. Yeah, like like and they. Sort of, kind of after my baby must be a magician. So they sort of kind of fall off, and you know, didn't really have any more hits after that. You know, like they had been basically um, superseded by the Supremes and also by Martha and the Vandellas. Uh, yeah, next, yeah, and, and, and even Martha and the Vandellas are getting shoved into the side too, right. eventually. So, as a quick side note, for those of you interested in further research, there is. An unsung uh, TV one unsung episode done on the Marvelettes. I highly recommend watching that. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, I do. I don't think I haven't seen that one. I have to check it out. Uh, next up, we have "Do You Love Me" by the Contours. Now, this is a song that you hear yeah. in every '60s movie and in one episode of Family Matters when Reginald Bell Johnson sings it. I had no idea that was a Motown song. It is a Motown song. As a matter yeah, of fact, it was supposed to be for The Temptations. They couldn't find them. They were at a gospel um, showcase and weren't available. <clears throat> the contours were around, so the contours recorded it. Wow. And that, you talk about rough around the edges. Yeah. I, mean, I love that one because it is so rough around the edges. Yep. And they were rough around the edges, too, as mentioned before. Um, they were on heroin. Yeah, they were on heroin. <laughs> Uh, Dennis Edwards came into the group in '65 <laughs> to replace the lead singer, who his you know he was tweaking a little bit too much, and the group basically dissolved in 1960s. I think it's I think it, it, plus they say '67, but I think they held on the, the extra year while they were on tour the Temptations, and when Dennis joined the Temps, yeah. that was the end of it. Damn. Uh, next up, we have "Love Is Like a Heat Wave" by Martha and the Vandellas. Uh, one of my favorite songs. The first Motown sound song. I, I think you nailed that. Yeah, by Holland, written by, produced by Holland Dozier and Holland. You have to hear the mono original single version, not any of the stereo album versions, because all the album versions are mm-hmm. too short. The single version has uh, Martha starting shouting at the end. The, yeah, 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 the sunrise girl. Yeah, yeah, ain't nothing but love. The documentary, this I could tell, was about white folks. They used the stereo version. That shit faded out. Like, like I understand the rest of it. It was fine, but when, I was so mad when they did not use the right version of Love, Love Like of um, Heat Wave. I just, I was very upset. I th- that background part is probably the greasiest Motown background part ever recorded because because they are they are feeling it yeah as that song vamps out 
Go ahead, girl. Say it's all right. I Don't mean, pass up I, this chance. <laughs> so the mono mix you say in the one that's like 308, that's the Yeah, one? that's the one you want. Yeah, that's the one you want. Right. Hmm. Okay. I had to look into That's that. That's the one you want. Yeah. Next up is uh, My God by Mary Wells. This is a song that everybody knows. Either you hear it on the, out and about or you've seen Sister Act Part 1. <laughs> 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 you know, a very big hit for Mary Wells. She left shortly after this and didn't have another hit on the other labels. Um, next up, we have uh, When I'm Gone by Brenda Holloway. This is one of her sing- hits that she oh, had. Oh, I love that song. Really great song. Um, oh. if you see the album, did Al- she write that one for us? Yes, she did. Yes, he did. Um, let me double check to make sure. Uh, yep, Smokey Robinson. I think that's a Smokey. Yep. Um, uh, if you it's see, got his- oh, yeah. Uh, if you see the album artwork for it, um, that it, it was on her second and last multi album, The Artistry of Brenda Holloway, which has the worst cover art I've ever seen. I feel like it was just mm. a gigantic fuck you for Motown because by this time the album came out two years after the single did, she had left the label already because like by yeah. that time, you know, Diana basically, you know, you know, had convinced Barry Gordy to, you know, show her the door. And, Be- and she was another one that Barry was kind of sweating a little bit too and it was like, you got to go. Yeah. Uh, next up is Stop in the Name of Love. Um, I, when I was oh. a... When I was six years old, my mother taught school. She taught middle school. And I remember they were rehearsing these kids for a um oh no, that's that's um that's a, that's a different song. This song, the children in my first grade um assembly performed this song. Like they lip synced to it. I had no idea what it was at the time, of course, but you know, they were doing like the the hand motion, which Paul Weirs from the Temptations designed for the girls, because they were at like they were at some place, some concert or some some TV show. Didn't have this, any steps for the song. They were ordered by Motown over the telephone to record it. And Diana ran into the men's bathroom and screamed at the Temptations. Like, you know, please help me. Please help us. We need some steps. Please help us. And that's what he did for mm-hmm. them. Uh, really? That first yeah. organ note. That, that, that song got... Yep. Beautiful. Just beautiful. Yeah, so imagine, Ali, you were in there trying to use the bathroom and in comes Diana Ross. It's like, Diana! Hey, Otis, we need some steps. Ain't nobody fucking with you, Otis. Diana, this is a men's bathroom. <laughs> uh, next up, we have one of my favorite, quote-unquote, obscure Motown singles. Uh, Take Me In Your Arms and Rock Me For A Little While by Kim oh. Weston. Great yes. song. Great artist. Uh, didn't make it. Wasn't pushed because it's, quote-unquote, too black. And Kim Weston wasn't pushed because Bills felt that she was quote unquote too black. She had a figure at the time that, uh, according yeah, to Motown, did. that was didn't fit their idea of crossover success. In 2010, she, she would have been a gigantic success. Poor, poor woman. <laughs> yeah, but, but she did that, and the other one she did was Helpless, which yes. was the the uh, other big. But Kim was Kim was gorgeous and. Listen to this one on the playlist. Folks. Listen, to, uh, her voice is incredible on it. But the Funk Brothers are particularly sharp on this recording. Yes, they are. I saw a video of her performing it on one of those old '60s TV shows, and like she's supposed to be oh, lip syncing yeah. it, but she's still singing along with it, and they did not turn her mic off, and she's hitting every note as good or better than she did Selling. on the record. 
Real quick, Brandon. Yeah, thanks, I thanks. see the same thing. Yep. Real quick, Brandon. Thanks to you, I just found out that you've made me so very happy by Brenda yes, Holloway. What, she wrote it. She wrote it. Her, her sister Patrice, Barry Gordy, and Frank Wilson, right? Yeah, Lou, yep. Lou, Lou Rawls covered that. Yeah, a bunch of people covered it. Blood, right. Sweat, and Tears had a gigantic hit with it. They were a white rock band. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. Well, yeah, she she killed that. So she was technically a she was a multiple a multiple threat. She had looks, she could literally write, and she could sing. Yep. Diane was like, "You got to go." Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow, uh, that's crazy, insane. Come on. Next up is "Reach Out." I'll be there by the Four Tops. Another one of these songs everybody knows. Great song. Pour, the perfect one time record. Pour one out for the brothers that ain't here to that one, y'all. Yep. Uh. And the funny thing is, Levi Stubbs, the singer of the Four Tops, always said he hated his lead vocal on it. He always wanted to redo it. Really? And convinced him that it like, dude, you're not, this is perfect. This is what we want. I Hold think up, stop, better. Stop. Hold up. What? Stop. Brenda Holloway recorded All I Do Is Think About You first? No, I that's Tammy. That's Tammy. No, I, no, no, no. Not All I Do. All I Do Is Think Of You. The, oh, um, all I do is think of you. Is that the same song as All I Do Is Think About You by Clarence Paul, Morris Broadnax, and Stevie Wonder? I don't think so. I don't I don't know. I have to look into that, Brenda Holloway. Thing. Wait, no. That That is all I do. All I do is think about you. I'm looking at this compilation called Brenda Holloway, The Motown Anthology. So they probably ran the song through her just as well as they did with Tammy. Yeah. Wow. There's a lot of that. When you get into like Motown, like the archives and stuff, you hear a lot of people singing the same song on the same backing track over again. Like, um, because they they were recorded a song three, four, five, eight times until they found a version they liked and put that one out. Well, that's the assembly line. They kind of joked about that in the documentary. Uh, Barry would do 327 mixes. uh, uh, No, that's that's the mixes (laughs) of one song, one recording. We're talking about, um, for example, the, I'm trying to think of a song, Eddie Kendricks is one of his first singles on that first album. Um, um, It's So Hard to Say Goodbye was assigned to like, the like Sarita Wright, then to the Supremes, then and then to um Eddie, then back to the Supremes, then back to Eddie, and his version was the one that came out. And the Supremes had to re-record it a different time later on. That would happen a lot. Until, and then G C Cameron had the biggest hit with it. So yeah. there you go. Wow. Uh next up we have Ain't Too Proud to Beg by the Temptations. Another song uh, everybody knows. This song is the result. No, you wanna leave me. Yep. This song is the result of a um of a, a battle in the quality control room between Smokey Robinson and Norman Whitfield. Smokey Robinson yep. at this time in 1965 was the Temptations producer, and he was he was Barry Gordy's right. best friend. And so that was not going to be challenged. Norman Whitfield, um, sharp, crafty, little light skinned, well, big light skinned man that he was decided he wanted to be the producer of The Temptations. And so he was trying to record a song that would be so good, so popular, that it would get him the job. And this was the song. He recorded it over and over again because it kept flunking the quality control meetings to the point where he had a version he liked. He made David Ruffin record it, his vocal, multiple times in, above, in notes that were above his register. And so yeah. 
And Otis Williams says that David Ruffin was in the studio sweating like a pig, you know, glasses falling off his face, straining to hit all those high notes. Finally got it out, put it on the, um, you know, as a single. It was a bigger hit than the previous single, which was Get Ready, which I would never understand. And that's how we got him. And so the tips were reassigned to Norman Whitfield. He was their producer for the next eight years. Now, a uh, little piece of trivia. The, the B-side of Ain't Too Proud to Beg is actually one of my favorite Temptation songs. It's a it's technically a lost Temptation song. It's a, it's a wonderful song called um, You'll Lose a Precious Love. Yeah. It is, it is incredible because you get a chance to hear David Ruffin go from his raspy baritone all the way up through to his high tenor falsetto. Because many people have sat there and wondered, who is who's the lead? It's Ruffin on that one. Yep. It's, and there's also a live version of that if you go on YouTube. Because he's, that song was so popular. That, it, that, that was another one, a panty thrower. Yeah. Uh, that was recorded from the Temptations live album from like 1965. Uh, but you'll lose a precious love. Listen to that because David Ruffin hits a high note in that that is... Well, first of all, it was the song was written by Smokey Robinson, so it was it's, it's interesting the the song that Norman would take the Temptations away with the B side was a Smokey side, right? Uh, but it's it's written in that in that Smokey sort of style. Listen to that song. There's a there, David hit a Smokey quality high note that will knock your socks off. And then when you're in, if you're on YouTube. There'll probably be the live version there, which he sings in a in a lower register, but because it's uh, performed in Detroit at the Twenty Grand Club, it's decidedly greasier than the studio version. Yeah. So put and that out there. And you hear all the girls screaming for him. <laughs> yeah, you heard that. One. You heard that one, haven't you? Oh yeah, yeah. Temptations Live. Yeah, great album. A lot of screaming. Woo. <laughs> Woo. Love. Yes, David. A lot of that. Um, Does your mama know about me by Bobby Taylor and the Vancouver's? Oh. Uh, yes. This song, 1968, was inspired by the 1967 hit film Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It has the same plot. <laughs> it do. He ain't, he ain't lying. Right. Written by Tom Baird and Tommy Chung from the group. Uh, really, a, a heavy... Well, Motown was doing those weird heavy melodrama songs at the time. You things like, you know, Love Child, I'm Look, Living in Shame. Yeah. And then... And then this, these songs are dealing with the, you know, social ills and the way that people, in a superficial way, you know, Marvin would eventually take that to another point with what's going on. But they were trying to sort of escape that edge a little bit because you had, you know, uh, people like Curtis Mayfield recording stuff that was definitely dealing with that in a harder way. But uh, does your mama know about me? That's a, that's a, it, it's a, it's an interesting song. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it has a weird sadness to it. Yeah. Uh, You're All I Need to Get By, which is my favorite song in the world, if anybody ever asks, by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Um, I think it's the, I think it's a perfect song as well. Like, it's, you know, everybody knows that one too, but it's just, I think it's fucking perfect. Everything about it, this melody, the lyrics, the singing. So a little bit of trivia about it. Valerie Simpson, because, um, you know, we talk about James Jamerson going from the downbeat to the upbeat and doing whatever he wanted and doing, mm-hmm. like, you know, everything. Valerie Simpson said, no, not this time. You will play the notes as I have written them because she was the music part of Ashford and Simpson. 
And Nick Asher mm-hmm. wrote the lyrics. And so Jameson's playing them restrained. And also, because Tammy Terrell recorded this, this is the first song she recorded, first single she recorded after she had fallen ill and they had found that she had brain cancer. So mm-hmm. she is singing the um the verses, but that is Valerie Simpson singing the the bridges and the choruses with Mark. Yep. Because so it is true that Valerie did sing. That's absolutely true. Valerie did sing. Absolutely. Because the third album is all, is all is all her. Ninety percent her. They brought in Tammy and used what they could, but most of that is Valerie Simpson because Tammy Terrell was sick and yeah. dying of brain cancer. Yeah. And 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 if you listen to their voices are actually remarkably similar in timbre because Valerie would sing the demos right. that Tammy would eventually do, but it got to the point where he says, Well, you just got to do the damn songs because the demand was there because understand something, V duet act from nineteen sixty seven to nineteen seventy in all of pop was Mo was, was Marvin and Tammy. Right. And the demand was there. And they wanted those out they Motown was like, You not we not gonna not get that cake. Right. So however it to happen it had to happen and 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 valerie did indeed sing on sing that the reason why you're confused about it greg's because valerie has been ordered of course and she's kept it up for decades to deny yeah. deny yeah. deny <laughs> wow yeah but i mean yeah. like that's where it happened tammy they did put out tammy's solo album in 1969 to try to help her get some money for her operations it was like all the songs she recorded before she became Marvin's duet partner, they put him onto an album called that was Irresistible. The irresistible album. Yeah, very great album. Put it out, but you know she never really recovered well enough. She died in 1970. She was 23, I believe, or 24 years old. Yeah, yeah. very young. I, and extremely. I, and I, I remember when she died because my sister was born in January of 1970. My sister Naima was born, and Tammy died. It had to be like March or April. Yeah, of that. Uh, yeah, I I, I remember it was it was a, a blow to black folks. It was like black folks didn't even know how sick she was. This was the time before social media, right? All the news was having a medical struggle, and you know nobody knew how bad it was. And you know she was gone. Yeah. So that was that was a kick in the chest for black folks. Yeah. But that is such a song, such a beautiful song. <laughs> Real quick, uh, this may be a little bit off the beaten path of where you are. Because as you've been talking, I'm looking stuff up. Thank God It's Friday was a Motown film. It I didn't is. know that. I think it, yeah, it yeah. is. It is, yeah. It is, but they it was actually... They, but they the, were al- the soundtrack album came out on Casablanca because of... Exactly, because Casablanca were co-producers. Right. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was basically a... Motown was... Uh, they had basically signed a deal to produce X amount of films, and when they didn't have things that were in the hopper of their own... And whatnot that was floated into the mix there for them to get out from up under the the obligation. Okay. Oh, that, that makes sense. so Casablanca took it over. Well, Casablanca had uh, uh, all the acts in the movie are, are pretty much Casablanca with it being uh, uh, village people and so on and whatnot. But it was it was just that because uh, remember it was all it was called Casablanca uh, Records and Filmworks. Yes, that's what the on the labels. So and, and and because Motown already had the, the 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 deal there and everything to sort of close that out and to move into Casablanca and whatnot, that's why they were basically paired up. It basically it was a two birds at one stone thing. Right. Yeah, because uh, the the Commodores are on here. 
Yeah, it was a two yeah, two birds, one stone. Right. Wow. Next up on the list, we have My Sherry Me My Sherry Amore by Stevie Wonder. Are you I love that song? Yeah. This is the um, you know, okay. Black Twitter's <clears throat> favorite song. Because it's the only song I've ever hung out with like a bigger black people who if the song comes on, everybody stops and sings it. Like never fails. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I'm, it's 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 a it's a sing along though. Yeah. I'm weepy eyed behind that song because uh, my father had a restaurant and he had a jukebox in there and he had a it was a beautiful waitress named Eleonora who worked for him and that song used to come on and I would just watch her walk around. It was like the like the Tracy Reed moments in in Car Wash. Oh uh, yes, that's what. Oh, <laughs> that's what it was for me. So and because my dad ran the restaurant, I knew where the free play button was for that song. I think one day I overplayed. I might have played it like six or seven straight times, and my father walked over and snatched the plug out. He says, "God damn, no more of that song." (laughs) (laughs) I like it, but God damn it, son, no more of it. My father. It's a great song, though. It's a great song. It's a fantastic song. Who wrote that? Robert White. It's Stevie Wonder uh, and Clarence. I think Clarence Power, Henry Cosby. Let me look it up right quick. Yeah. Uh, Stevie Wonder, Henry Cosby, and Sylvia Moy. Okay. Yeah, and but Robert White's guitar playing on that, which I, if you listen to a proper mix of it, is in the right channel, is absolutely sublime. Yep. Very great. Beautiful song. guitar player. Uh, mm. Next up is I Can't Get Next to You by The Temptations. So this is after Dennis had come in and replaced David Ruffin. This is during their mm-hmm. psychedelic soul period. Norman Whitfield was, you know, pushing them into new territory. And Yusef told me, like, um, so I already heard rumor, and I, he confirmed it was true. During this period, mm-hmm. in order to get this new sound and figure out what it was, he was stealing it from um, Parliament Funkadelic, who at the time was not, quite internationally known yet. They were uh, up and coming. Norma Whitfield will go to a Funkadelic concert with a record, um, with a um, tape recorder. At the 20 Grand Club. And put it 20 Grand Club. Yep. And record what he heard, bring it back to Motown and figure out, okay, how do we do that? Wow. Because, because Golden World Records, which was formerly Rick Kick and TriFi, was adjacent to the 20 Grand Club. So they had a little setup where you could sort of record, get what was off the studio board and record it. And, and say, oh, okay, so I've got that to work from. And that's where he got the temptations that, that their sound from. In fact, that part, and I can't connect to you, that, that, that was a classic uh, funkadelic vamp. And apparently, you know, the, the, uh, George Clinton was like livid. That that was cops around, but what could you do? Right. So yeah, it's a it's that that if you if you somewhere on YouTube, I, I know there's an instrumental of that. Listen to if you listen to it, you really hear that funkadelic sound all up in there with it. And Norman was trying to find something different to do, and he found it. Yeah, he did. I can't get next to you was the Temptations' best selling single up to that point. It's interesting mm-hmm. you say that because George Clinton ended up being a thief all all into his own. But oh, we put that, say that for the next podcast. But that's that's a whole other yeah. yeah. Everybody steals. Yeah. Uh, next up is "I Want You Back" by the Justin Five. We already mentioned that one in depth, so I'll just go ahead on to the next one. So we already talked about mm-hmm. you know them recording it in pieces, and um, we mentioned that it was written for Gladys Knight and the Pips first. I don't know if we mentioned that part. Really? Yeah. No, you didn't. Yeah, it's written for them first. Then, it, then when it became good, they decided to give it to Diana Ross. And then Barry Gordy decided it'd be perfect for the Jackson 5. The reason why you can tell it's written for a glass light in the pips is the... Oh, 
That's yeah. their signature. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's that, that's that's background vocal. Yeah. Um uh, Baby I'm for real by the originals. Now the originals we had mentioned were the backup group for a lot of the Motown artists, but they wanted to be stars on their own. And um Marvin Gaye wrote, co-wrote and produced the song for them. I think this is his first production yep. on a Motown song, at least one that was a single that was released. Um, I think so. Might be some earlier stuff, but this is the worst one that broke big for them and sort of kind of established him. Marvin Gaye could produce his own stuff, sort of a thing. Uh, very nice song, very beautiful song. The originals, of course, went on to have all their own their own career. The bells, just to keep you satisfied and, you know, things like that. Well, uh, you, the story behind this was that the bells was actually... It's interesting, it was... A, it was they basically took the song the bells and broke it out into two songs uh it was it was uh, uh, and the, and the two songs were the bells and then also uh um baby i'm for real baby i'm for real yeah there's the actual demo of the of the the original version of it that incorporates the lyrics of both and then marvin and maybe to a certain degree barry also to his of of uh, uh his his wonderful frugal nature figured hey this is actually two songs. So you got a twofer out of that. Oh, sweet. Um, next up, we have War by Edwin Starr. Uh, Edwin ah. Starr, as we mentioned before, had come over Good from God, um, Rick Tick Records. They bought his contract and brought him to over to Motown. Uh, he recorded this song because Temptations had already recorded it and did not want to have it put out as a single. Uh, it was It's under albums like Adelic Shack. Uh the anti-war protesters were riding Motown and, and begging them to release it as a single. The Temps said no. I think Shelly Berger, their manager, really said no because they were trying to get into all the white supper clubs and everything, all the conservative uh, <gasps> areas. And so they were like, we can't piss off um, the rich white people who, you know, pay our bills. And oh, my God. So Norman Whitfield was like, well, I got to record it on somebody. This is clearly a hit. And Edwin Starr said, I'll do it. <laughs> and you hear the result, you know, very like unusual for a Motown record. Very powerful, very muscular, very in your face. Whoa, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. If you hear the original, it's nothing yeah. like that. The Temptations version is very, yeah. very like, for lack of a better term, it's just, it's, it's just very like, it's a date compared to this. It's a supper club song. Yeah, yeah. And the thing was, Edwin was always recording. His his stuff always had an edge to it. If you listen to things like before that with 25 Miles and everything, his mm-hmm. stuff was always very punchy, in your face, you know, always. And he was, the, he was the, the, the perfect person to do that one. Right. Like, you know that song, right, Ali? You know that song before, War? Yep, I do. Yep. Uh, next up we have It's a Shame by The Spinners. Stevie Wonder co-wrote this song for them and wrote produced that- it. Um, there's a rumor. There's a rumor that JD, famous producer, Jay Dilla, his father actually wrote Ghost wrote that. I've there's never heard ru- that. Yeah. And I was wondering if it was ever true. It's credited to Stevie, to it, Lee it, Garrett, and to Sarita Wright. It because it really does sound like Steve because Stevie was in this weird sort of jazzy phase then. Mm-hmm. If you listen to things like "If You Really Love Me" and so on, and and the, the way that song is set up with the, if you if you re, if you 
I'm not I'm just saying if you separate the the vocals from it and whatnot, it has a it's 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 a, it's an actual it's it's a, almost like a big band arrangement, and it really does sound like Stevie doing his jazzy stuff around from from right around that time. So I don't know anything about the about Dylan's Papa on that, but it it's definitely in Stevie's wheelhouse for that time. Yeah, I I would think so too because it it sounds like a Stevie song, but when I heard that rumor, I was like. Get the fuck out of you know, here. People make up stuff all the time. It might <laughs> yeah, be true. It might just, not be true. We, there, I have no evidence that that's what happened here. But, you know, interestingly enough, that is, um, that ended up being one of my favorite Motown songs ever. Right. And on the, what eventually became the Funk Brothers uh, deluxe edition of, I guess, Standing in the Shadows of Motown, the sound. They have an instrumental of it. There. Yeah, they have instrumental. an instrumental of it. And oh my God, it sounds so good. Yeah. GC Cameron sings the lead on this. The spinners went through lead singers like like socks. Like wait, they wait, were wait, always wait, using wait. lead singers. What GC Cameron is the lead singer on that? Yes. Yeah, he is. He, he became a solo Motown artist after this song. He basically left the group high and dry. They went to Atlantic Records and hired um, uh, Philip Wynn to become their Philippe new Wynn. singer. Felipe Wynn, yeah. Is Felipe, yeah. is that how you pronounce it? Felipe, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Felipe, like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Felipe Wynn, they were, you know, they had I'll Be, I'll Be Around and One of a Kind Love Affair, all those big hits um, from Don Bell and that kind of stuff. Tom see, Bell. What are, you, what are you getting Tom Bell? This spell it's so it's Tom Bell. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm shit all the time. So, G.C. Cameron Tom stayed is, at Motown. Yeah, G.C. Cameron stayed at Motown, and he, you know, had a couple of singles of his own. The biggest, most important one to pop culture being It's So Hard to Say Goodbye to Yesterday from uh, the movie Cooley High. And the duet with Sarita mm-hmm. with You, I'm Born Again? Yeah. No, right. that would be Billy Preston. Oh, my bad. That's You're right. You're right. You're right. Okay. Right. Yeah, but uh, I, I I didn't know a whole lot about GC Cameron. Apparently, he had quite a nice little career. Oh yeah. my God, y'all still on? <laughs> <laughs> this is a, 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 Carolyn. Carolyn, yes. this, this is this is like Aretha's funeral, honey. Oh, Lord. I'm trying to get through the like like the like the thing. I'm trying to like bring us to the end. Um, Dude, he's doing well with the playlist here. Yeah. Well, where are we at? We're on the playlist. Oh okay. Um, next up is "What's Going On" by Marvin Gaye. We've we, we, we've we discussed, co- we've discussed that the- one um, in like you know everybody knows that song. Um, next up is "I Just Want to Celebrate" by Rare Earth. So Motown had a mm. bunch of subsidiary labels. Um, in yes. addition, so the main three were Tamla, Motown, and Gordy, which is where most of these artists were situated in one of those three. The more, the quote-unquote, blacker artists went on to VIP or to um, Soul Records. But they also had a white rock label <laughs> called Rare Earth, which they yep. created in order to sign this group, Rare Earth, yep. who had hits and, uh, like their version of Get Ready and this song, uh, I Just Want to Celebrate. And Rare Earth were basically put together by Motown to capitalize on the, I think we were talking before about groups like Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Chicago, these these white. So they of, were assembled. Sort of, uh, they were an existing group, but mind you, uh, understand understand this. When they came in to record in studio, it wasn't necessarily them doing the the, the recording. Uh, all of that. Uh, I did not studio. know that. Now I, I knew yeah. they didn't record Ma um, because that's normally Whitfield's production. You can tell they just used the studio musicians on that. One. Of course, that's their yeah. album. They but when it, when it, when it, 
yeah, when they would go out and play live, they played themselves. But it was definitely uh, tried to catch that wave of because it was like 1968, 69. That's when you started to see um, uh, blood, sweat, and tears, vanilla fudge, these, these, exactly. All that these stuff. sort of these sort of the, sort of the blue-eyed soul groups and whatnot. And these guys were definitely put out to to, to capture to capture that, and they did for a hot little bit. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Next up is Neither One of Us Wants to Be the First to Say Goodbye by Glass Night and the Pips, their final Motown single while they were still there. Because Motown's from Crafty. They put out archive yeah. stuff for them for years after this. But this is the last one they did while they were still there, written by Jim Weatherby, who they took with them to Buddha Records, where they had, he wrote a new song for them called Midnight Train to Georgia, which was an even bigger hit than this one. <laughs> um, but this is a very cute and nice song. But I cannot hear it any longer without singing No More Rain in This Cloud. <laughs> As it starts up because Edgy Stone sampled it. <laughs> Crazy. I can't. Damn you, Edgy Stone! <laughs> uh, next- By the way, folks, oh, with, with Gladys, uh, the thing about Gladys is Gladys is, of course, uh, one, of the, one of the great live performers of all time. Her, her stage pattern is legendary. This song is one of the great ones that she does live. But if you ever get a chance to listen to Gladys do The Way We Were, listen to that. Let's talk about That's the good old days. <laughs> yeah, you know. I, I know Rizzo listened to it. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, next up is Keep On, Keep on Trucking by Eddie Kinch. We talked about that a little bit already. Frank Wilson produced it. It was Being like one of the first right? proto gospel mm-hmm. songs. Very, very long. One of those very long, like, eight-minute recordings. Yeah, it, um, almost one of the first disco records, really. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It, it was Eddie proving that, you know, he could be a big star without, you know, the need for the group, you know. Forget that song. What that, uh, the, uh, the other song that they, uh, Intimate Friends. That's my shit. Oh, Everybody just said about that damn song. Yeah, they have. Intimate Friends is off of the, uh, that's, uh, that's off the, Oh God! I think it's probably his third album. That was another Frank Williams, Frank Frank Wilson production. Slick, right? Uh, I, I'm glad I finally got to know it because I needed Alicia Keys out of my head. Jesus. <laughs> I needed that gone. I think that was oh, on the God. album called Slick, right? Yeah, Slick right? is like I think Slick is like his like fifth or sixth album. It's it's down there. Yeah, and mind you, Eddie was having some substance abuse issues because uh, if you'll notice on those albums. There aren't any photographs of it. There are like you know, the, that. I think it's an airbrush uh, drawing of them. And for albums, when you get to the "He's a Friend" and going up the smoke album, is that why he recorded are, "He's a Friend"? Who, for those who don't know, "He's a Friend" is a song. It's a disco song about Jesus. Well, first of all, that was also that was also recorded with my friend, uh, the, the wonderful. That's a uh, that's a Philly production with Earl Young, Baker Harris Young. Um, uh, Eddie had actually had a mild heart attack at that time. And if you notice in the lyrics, it talks about those are actual, those were gospel disco tunes. And Eddie was slated to record an entire album just like that. But his substance abuse issues prevented him from doing that. What was Eddie and on? So was it, it cocaine? Was, cocaine? If I can ask. Cocaine. Okay. It was cocaine. <laughs> it was cocaine. But you, if you listen to the opening part of like you know, they said they had they said I had a heart attack. You know, he was he was he was really trying to get back to some sort of semblance of self. And the guys in Philly, um, you know, uh, uh, Norman Harris, uh, Ronnie Baker, and and 
Earl Young, the, the, one of the five greatest drummers to walk the face of Eric, put these these songs together for him. Uh, but if you notice, like on the on those albums, the the photographs of Eddie are recycled from like three and four years before because he wasn't looking so good. Oh my dang, my god! Really? Because yeah. I, I'm looking it yeah, up you, now. Yeah, Intimate Friends look, was on the Slick album from seventy. That's an airbrush, airbrush one. But if you look on the Going Up in Smoke and uh, He's a Friend albums, He's a Friend. It's it's uh, some hands. It's two hands. <laughs> yeah, Going Up in Smoke is just a picture of some kid. Uh, yeah, Neil Dover holding his head. Oh, I didn't know that about Eddie. Got the, got the two hands, and it's got a little photograph of Eddie. But the photograph of Eddie is a three-year-old picture. She really. You'll see that it's, it's, it's where the, it's, it's what he's wearing. I think he's wearing the green, uh, the green uh, sport jacket. Yeah, I yeah. see. He, the, so. He's a friend cover. It's just two hands clasped together, like almost like a handshake, like a brother handshake. Yeah. And then yeah, he, and the little photograph is from three years before. Right. Wow. So he could record the music, but his he wasn't looking to, good enough to put he on the his, cover. He, yeah, he well in the studio you can record a million takes and punch in stuff. Can't can't, can't go out. The, can't go out the road. Right. Yeah. I didn't know he had as many albums as he did on Tampa. He has a lot of uh, albums. Like we can't. I'm really... looking one, two, yeah, three, yeah, seventy-one to seventy-six. Seven, eight, yeah, we, we can't really nine. get into all of that. But like, the, Eddie Kitchens wow. had a very long solo career that they're um, they're collecting it now. Like they finally put out some of that stuff. You can listen to it on iTunes and everything like that. Uh, and, and listen to the B side. Yes. Uh, next up, we have "Love Hangover" by Diana Ross. You know, which is you know one of her. Um, big is a big hit, but she had very few big hits in the seventies. They were all they were big hits, but they were very far and wide on the release schedule. Yeah, uh, love yeah. hangover. Um, of course, you know, like it starts out slow and then it, you know, gets in the disco point. Uh, she apparently didn't like the song and couldn't get into it in the recording studio. Somebody brought some wine out, and so she's at, towards the end. That's why I don't need no cure. I don't need no cure. I don't need no cure. love hangover. <laughs> you know. <laughs> she literally had a love hangover the next morning. Uh, <laughs> next up, we have "Don't Leave Me Don't Leave Me This Way" by Thelma Houston. This is a cover of the Woo! Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes song, sung by Teddy Pendergrass two years prior. I like Teddy version better. Everybody does. Um, <laughs> but this version was a bigger I, 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 hit. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and there's two. There's two versions of this. There's a, the, the the single version that everybody knows. If you look up on, uh, I don't know if you got this, this one in the playlist, but it's the original album version. It's a slightly different mix, but it's it's got a slightly re- the, the album mix has got a slightly it's got a richer sound to it, whereas the one that we all know has like a lot more thump. Right. So listen to listen to them both. Yep, hmm. I think this one's the album version. Uh, next up yeah. is "Easy" by the Commodores. The Commodores, of course, Ow. were um, a you know like a group at Motown that sort of kind of you know they did fine in the late seventies for them. You know, led by Lionel Richie, they had started out as a backing band for the Temptations and then evolved on their own and became their own group. You Interesting. Know, they went know. from you know yep. um, you know funk tunes like Brick House to these sorts of like ballads like Easy and um, Three Times a Lady. Of course, Lionel Richie would eventually leave the group. What happened? Weren't they all going to school at Tuskegee? Yes, yeah, yeah. Tuskegee University. You're off from Alabama. It makes me. It makes me think. That song makes me think of like, it's like the perfect song to play when you're waking up and you're getting getting ready in the morning. 
Oh, easy is absolutely that. Yep. It has it has that it has that early morning sunrise feel to it. Yeah, it does. Uh, uh, Next up, we have <laughs> um, "Cruising" by Smokey Robinson. Uh, this My is one man. of his several solo singles. Um, this is one of the more famous ones. This and "Quiet Storm." This '79. Yeah, '79. Uh, yeah. The Angela Best will cover it ever. later. Oh, Carolyn was born in '79. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next up, we have. Yeah, I was sixteen in nineteen seventy nine. I was negative three, I, got I think. <laughs> I'm a baby. Uh, next up, we have "Super Freak" by Rick James. This is a song everybody there knows. We go. You know, from eighty one. Later made incredibly famous by MC Hammer and by Steve Urkel as well on Family Matters. Oh yeah. <laughs> He did it a lot. Um, when Rick James, when Rick James yells for Temptation Sang, it's actually them. Right. <laughs> yep. Melvin Franklin used to say yeah, that Rick James was now. his nephew, but it's not true. Melvin just liked to adopt people that he liked at the label. Wait, well, hold, his family. It wasn't true. No, it's hold not up. true. No, it's not true. He's not, they're not related at all. No. So wait, 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 go back. You said when he said Temptations sang, it was actually who? Them, it's them. It's the Temptations. Yeah, it's actually them for real. Yeah, it's um, Otis Williams, Melvin Franklin, Richard Street. I'm guessing it's Glenn Leonard at this time and Dennis. Oh, okay, cool. All right, so it really is. And it was also because they hadn't had a hit in a little bit, so that was his way of giving them a little bit of a light. Right. And a little bit of a little bit of time right there. Yeah, because he, Rick James would produce their... Um, reunion single the next year, standing on the top. They had a, on the they top. Had a lot of songs that didn't really hit very well. Yeah, yeah. Next. It was a little bit of like kind of like what the uh, what Stevie did with the Jackson Five on "You Haven't Done Nothing," where he was like, yes. Jackson I sing it now, and had the, it was kind of a reprise of that sort of situation, right? But but I think Michael wasn't on that, was he? Why do I feel like I had somebody told me Michael wasn't part of that? He might not have been. I, I, I don't, I don't you're know. Correct. I, I, yeah, I, 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 I believe you are. Might have been the Jackson Four. I've heard that. Well, <laughs> uh, next up is "Square Biz" by Tina Marie. It's the song that she wrote and produced herself. Yes. Um, I think this is a song that all black people know. At least <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how the white people feel about it. Um, so Tina, whole own family party don't know the shit. <laughs> That's definitely a cookout song. Uh, Tina, I would yeah, say that, 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 that got the cookout invite for her. Yep. Square Square Biz is her weakest song, mm. oh. which is weird. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's her weakest which, song, you, and if the, and if you trust me, if you go back and listen to her records, oh shit, it's the one well, I you like. You know, the pop song is usually the most weakest song. Mm. It's, 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 yeah. and it's funny, because, but that's but that's not saying it's, it's bad, because, Brandon. I'm not saying it's bad. Square Biz is the jam, but it's her weakest song. Hey, baby, what's happening? And it's funny because Lady T. You heard a boatload of other yeah. ladies rap, but they ain't got nothing on me. <laughs> he was rapping. Can you can you dig it? <laughs> he was rapping. He used to call her Vanilla Chalk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Man, but I'm telling you, listen, you want to have your head blown open? You need to listen to You Make Love Like Springtime. Casanova motherfucking brown and um, <laughs> Portuguese love. She. Uh, I'll check them out. I'll check out later on. Uh, Portuguese next... love is going to blow your head open in five, like 45 degrees. Yeah. Next up is <laughs> I Like It by DeBarge. Yeah. 
This is a song yes. that everybody knows as well. Yes. Ooh. And I like it. Nolan and Crosby are the producers on that, isn't it? I think so. I know y'all are. Yeah, I think that's, that's Nolan and Crossley on the production for that. But I, 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 just like I, I, have, I have said numerous times that the the DeBars, the, the In a Special Way album is technically, I, I call that the last classic analog sounding soul album of the so-called soul era. Because after that, you get to the Minneapolis sound, which was fine unto itself but everybody everything got a weird sort of cold mechanized sound after that yeah it is true <laughs> yeah carolyn were you yeah. about to say something right quick no, i was right. just gonna say i know y'all already discussed the bard as a group but i just need to say you know in front of people that care about me and love me that the barge especially el de bard was my first introduction into the lovely world of colorism I just love me that light skin boy. Oh lord! <laughs> I did, I did. Really light quickly, skin. name name me because I don't know them all. Name all the members of the bars for me, right quick. Somebody. Bar, uh, oh, James, I can do it. Bunny. L. Bunny. James. Uh, Mark. Chico. No, Chico wasn't in the bars. Chico wasn't. Chico wasn't there. Chico wasn't there. Mark. Mark. Well, what's that last one? Tommy. Uh, Tommy. 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 Because people forget that the bars was basically switched 2.0. Yeah. Right, which was the other most yeah. exactly, yeah. All right, right, next up is All Night Long by um Lionel Richie. Now, I posted oh, on my Facebook oh. that I didn't like Lionel Richie's solo oh, material, I saw that which show. is true, and I didn't realize that was a controversial opinion. <clears throat> it is I not, just, not to me, it's not controversial to me. <laughs> Like I just I don't like them. I'm sorry. They're, they're, but that they're, one song, that like I said, love find a way. Shit, that's the, that's that smooth eighty groove right there. That love shit. will find a way. Is so dope. The dog pound stole it. Right, exactly. That, yeah. I mean, but that's before Lionel thought he was a damn country singer. Oh, true. Right. True. All right. Next that up, Alabama came out. Yeah, because he he wrote he wrote a lady, and Kitty Rogers covered it and made have big yeah. success with it. Yeah. And 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 he realized how easy it was to write those country songs, and he that, that, he got locked in with that. Go on, Brandon. What's the next one? Uh, next up is "All Night Long" by the Mary Jane Girls, written by produced by Rick James. Yes, that's the jam right there. Hey, boy! So interesting. You went from "All Night Long" to "All Night Long." Yeah, you did. You did. be on the rooftop I did. tonight. Yeah. I got a surprise for you. No crazy song. That's my shit. Yep. <laughs> next up is um. Are you you get a contact high just listening to them Rick James uh, put together songs. That's where right. the guy. Yeah. But you know what? Truthfully, the girls in Mary Jane Girls were some dope singers. They had great vocals. Yeah, dude. they did. They, they did. really did. Um, oh, my God. JoJo, ugh, her voice is amazing on them songs. Well, wasn't it the case that she was actually sort of the, the only real singer in the group, and then they built the rest of the group around her? Right. That's what, that's what I... That's what I. That's what I heard. What the what the situation was. But you. But you know how Rick got down. Rick was fucking them bras, man. Right. So that I mean, no, not. <sighs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, dude. I mean, he got the one and built the group around her because that was his. You know, that was his plaything. Right. Yeah. And I think I think one of the girls from. If I'm not mistaken, one of the girls from Mary Jane Girls eventually ended up being a member of Vanity Six. I, yeah. I don't know anything about that. I think no, that, that I don't know. 
I think I so. Think or she's, it might have been a later incarnation of it might have been Apollonia Six, but the Vanity Six. Oh, that was they were all they were all Prince originals. Okay, might might have been Apollonia Six. Then you're right, but. Yeah. Yeah, one of the girls from Mary Jane Girls eventually ended up floating over to Prince's camp. Okay. I don't really think about it at all. Uh, next up is Don't Look Any Further by Dennis Edwards featuring Saida C- C- um, Girl. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't, 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 say, don't say it out loud. Karen, don't. Karen, don't. Carolyn's like, favorite. Karen doesn't like Saida Garrett, apparently. I don't know why. Um, this song, of course, is Dennis Edwards. This is his only really big solo single. He also had, I think, um, I forgot what his other one was that he tried, I think, I know the album was cooler now. I don't think that's the name of the song. And the greatest video ever recorded. Yeah, he's chewing them cashews pretty hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> and with, with, with the fake African chants, Madeo, Madeo, Mambuchi, I don't know what that means. Uh, <laughs> what the hell is you saying? Man? Right. <laughs> because this is when Dennis was out of the Temptations. He was in and out three times during the 80s because Otis this would fire him. This when he was on him. that crack? Yeah. The Otis would fire him for doing okay. drugs. He would beg Otis to let him back in. Otis would relent. Then Otis would fire him again. You know, it, he was back and now forth. Now I'm on heroin. Right. <laughs> now I'm on heroin. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Somebody's Watching by, by Rockwell. Rockwell is Barry Gordy's son who recorded a song behind his back and has Michael and Jermaine Jackson singing back up on it. Is that Barry Gordy the fourth? No, this is Kennedy That's Gordy. Kennedy. It's Kennedy. Oh, okay. And I don't know, you know, as, a, as you know, of course, this is when videos is really popping off. And so as a kid, I mean, at, for first of all, Brandon, this is something we need to talk about another day. I need to understand why all videos in the 80s like, had a creepy thing. But like so that video, just all as a kid, you just love that video. And then that was as a, a little kid, finding out that that was Barry Gordy's son, you know, a little burgundy pop culture fanatic. I don't know. This touched my heart. I just wanted to say that. Right. I'm sad I missed this show. I'm so sad. Uh, next up, uh, Down My Heart by The Boys. The boys yes, okay. were a group of four, right four little kids, brothers, um, who um, recorded these this song and a couple of other albums. They did they were they did okay, but eventually they drifted away from doing American First pop all, music and they moved they moved general. apparently to um to Ghana, I believe, and became artists yeah. over there. The Abdul Samad brothers. Yes, uh, yeah. I follow him. But let me tell you, Brandon. I know you younger, but you ain't about to just blaspheme against the boys and talk about they did a little bit something. The boys was everything. I was saying they were children. They were small children. They were literally were boys. That's what I'm trying to relate to the audience. <laughs> you ain't gonna. And then you also have to count in the fact that all of them were working in Hollywood before they actually like recorded their album. So if you go back and watch all them eighty shows, you watch Amen. You watch two two seven and all of them. You'll see. Yeah, Hakeem. Yeah, Hakeem was, was in everything. He was. He was. I remember that. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, "Hey, ain't that dude from the boys?" And I saw right. him before. Man, dude, die my heart was the shit. Yeah, it's, yep. it's still the shit. If you listen to it now, it's still the shit. Yep. It mm-hmm. um it was of course written and produced by Babyface and L.A. Reid, which is why it sounds just like every little step I take by Bobby, by Bobby Brown. <laughs> right. <laughs> Babyface in L.A. recycled a whole bunch of grooves. Yes, man. they did. Oh, yeah. They they had that one groove. Um, the same groove was uh, "Roses Are Red" by the Mag Band. Mm-hmm. Same groove. L.A. and Babyface had that winning formula. I remember uh, giving you the benefit of the doubt. Sounded just like "On Our Own" from Ghostbusters Two. Oh yeah, Bobby Brown. Yep. Same exact groove, and I'm like, he doing the same song like multiple times on niggas. What is this? Making money. It was, 
Man, that's what it was. Crazy. But I mean, that was the same template that I'll be sure you at that same time. The thing right. I love about Babyface songs though is that you know he didn't. He would just take whatever to scratch. He had to take the scratch demo and just put the lead over because you when you go back and listen to him, I'm like that's Babyface singing. I I mean, as a kid, you didn't know, but listen to it, you like Babyface. You just sung all these songs. Yep. Yep. Uh, next up is My 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 by Johnny Gill. This song yeah. will be familiar to some of you millennials out there who saw Family Matters. Um, there's an episode of season <laughs> three where uh, Steve Urkel hires Johnny Gill to come and sing for Laura. I think it's season two, actually. I remember this. Yes. <laughs> and he sings this song. That's why I chose this one and not Rub You the Right Way. about to close the door on him because he was... He was doing too much. <laughs> Who wrote my, my, my? Now, now, um, now Brandon. Brandon Babyface. Never mind. Yep. Brandon, was that, the, I want to say, and I'm probably wrong, so I'm asking you. Was this the first album that had the one side was all LaFace and the other side was all Jam and Lewis? Correct. Okay. I, yeah. I can I can attest to that being correct. Right. Because Jam and Lewis did Lady Du Jour. That's my shit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think they did the same thing on Bobby's album, but they didn't do whole sides for each other, I don't think. Right. Like, they each had whole sides on Johnny's album. Right. They and did. Just That's to make cool. sure I established this, of course, Johnny Gill, of course, at the time was the lead singer in New Edition, and his solo deal was at Motown. The other solo deals for the rest of the group were all at MCA. Properly. Yeah. Was he the lead? He wasn't the lead singer. It was um, Gerald was Busby. To be. Gerald Busby brought Johnny in to kind of help yeah. re 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 like um, re, I guess relaunch Johnny's career because prior to that, Johnny had two albums out on Cotillion that sold like zero copies. And but, but he was also being Stacy Lattisaw. Yes, he was with Stacy Lattisaw doing duets and stuff, and it didn't really. Go very well. I mean, for those, 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 those are big hits, but they were basically Stacey Lattisaw with Johnny Gill. With Johnny Gill, yeah. yeah. But well, they, the, they the one song that New Edition, he was supposed to replace Ralph, and then yeah. when Ralph found out, he got mad and stayed. Yeah, mm-hmm. but um, Johnny had a hit called "Half Crazy" from his Cotillion days. That's still the shit to this day. That, that didn't really get the respect it deserves, but it's a jam. Okay. Next up, we have End of the Road by Voice to Men. This song needs no introduction because it was one of the longest running mm-hmm. one hit singles in American history. I hate that song now. Me too. Why? Because I've, I've heard overplayed. It play. Oh, God. Oh. If I never hear End of the Road again in my life, I'll be. Ugh. I like it still, but it has and it's one of those. And it's one of those songs that when that song came, first of all, I've never after Motown Philly, I've never listened to another Boys the Men album, and I love that Motown Philly album. I Lee love uh, uh, yeah, whatever the name of that album. I love that album. And once End of the Road came out, like shit, do they even perform anything off that album anymore? Probably not. Just Motown Philly, Dude, and the fact that it's that? a return to Motown roots. Yep. From the, the 70s, fact it being the cover right. uh, that was you, the, the closing song from Cooley High. Right. And of course, random trivia really quickly. Boys the Men was originally a, quart- a quintet. It was originally Juan A. Morris, Nathan Morris, Sean Stockman, 
Michael, I forgot Michael's last name, and Mark Nelson, who went so Mark, yes, yes, quit, Mark Nelson. I believe the day after they got their deal, something really, they got they got their deal. They took the photographs, then he quit. <laughs> and like Mark fun- Nelson that went on to be in uh, what's as yet, yes, yes. same yes. Mark Nelson. Yep, I was wow. about to say that, girl. You know, about That's to say that. That's a downgrade. Well. <laughs> you do what you can. Uh, next up, we have Aisha by another bad creation. They were another group another group kids. that you better not besmirch. They were assigned to Michael Bivens. Michael Bivens had a, um, from New Edition had a deal with um, Motown. I um, I was not familiar with a, uh, them other than the mission in um, um, Motown Philly Boys the Men ABCBBD. Um, listen, but listen, I, so let I, me just I did my research during the week and I was appalled when I saw the music videos, saw these children being grown and humping the ground and stuff. I was like, what is going on here? Listen, <laughs> sixth grade me is not about to let you shit all over my little girl childhood. Okay. We, we all had, cereal. We, all, we was all Aisha. <laughs> we all had our starter jackets and our starter hats. Okay, we all had on our overalls with the, with the hanging down the front. You bet not. I still listen to ABC. You bet not. Uh, you bet I, not I, do no, it. No, I will, I'll leave them alone. Next song okay. is one of my favorites. Though. <laughs> Wait, I gotta I gotta go back and correct what I said to Carolyn earlier. Um, when you suggested about Johnny Gill, where you know L.A. Bayface did one side, Jimmy did Terry did the other side. Mm-hmm. That's actually incorrect. That oh. was the original plan, but. Their songs are scattered amongst the whole album. Oh, where some, okay. some were done by Jimmy and some were done by L.A. and Babyface. Gotcha. Okay. Next up, we have I Love Your Smile by Shanice. That's Hell no. Shit. I hate that damn song. Wow. Shut up. Wow. No. Wrong feeling. Carolyn, I'm going to come through this phone and fight you. No. I always I'm, love I'm, this I'm song. I'm going to let it stay. That's the jam. Because y'all told y'all not to talk about and, ABC. I'll be And quiet. of course... Um, <laughs> When um she says blow Branford Bloods Branford um Branford Marcellus. Blow Branford Blow. That's famous my trumpet, shit. the famous um saxophonist and sometimes actor in school days. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shanice, of course, is now married to um Flex Alexander from um that UPN show I forgot the name of. Her new little song is uh, yeah. Shanice got And they had a show right and they now. had a show nice. on um where they talked about going broke and trying to come back. Right. Uh, next up is You and I T.Y. by Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah's um, flavor Ooh. unit had a, a deal with Motown during this period. Who you calling a bitch? Yep, Her that's it. Her last good song. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't somebody do a Facebook post uh, this week that just had that as a as, that was as me. lead line for Because as I was, I was, was doing the research, I, that's, that's, what I, that's what I posted Well, because that. Isn't, isn't Queen Latifah on Rhapsody's new album? That's what I hear. Oh. People say that. Yes, yeah. she is. And I think Rhapsody wrote her verse, but I'm going to be quiet. Oh, Lord. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, next up, we have another Flavor Unit um, song, Hey, Mr. DJ. The single was actually released on Epic, but the album was released on Motown. Mm. Let me tell you, Jeanne is one of the most underrated groups in R&B history. Agreed. Especially their second album. Yeah. They were, I, will, I will vouch for that. The TV show that I... Participated in in the early '90s, they were what they were actually our second episode musical guest. And watching them in soundcheck, they were as good live as they were on record, if better. Yeah. Better. But, but one and since you mentioned that second album, they should not have dared to remake "Good Times." That was no, a, they should have left that. That was "Good that Times" was by Sheik. 
Yes, they the did. That's the song that, that was the most remaining remain in the seventies. You could tell that somebody had told them that they bag was the whole, you know, club thing after Hamish hey, and DJ and Groove, but they no. That, that, that's a song you can't cover unless you're doing like a like a period piece in a movie. I'm sorry, Mm-mm. that song does not belong. But they songs. are incredibly oh, I, and I forgot that they were on Motown, but they were incredibly underrated. They they really them even before D'Angelo and stuff like really ushered in what later became neo soul. Yeah, like for we'll, real, for real. And we'll get more deal. Yep. So in a, in one oh. in two more songs. Uh, but before we get there, we gotta go to Stila by Seven O Two featuring Missy Elliott. Hey, I listen to that song Woo! once a day. That's my that is like that's my Stila once yep. a day. I listen to that yep. song. We mentioned that one earlier, of course. You know, cousin Skeeter is the he used to. You know how I do, and you know how I flow. And Missy Elliott's such a great fucking writer. God bless yep. her. She didn't oh, write man. good on this new album. Oh, Lord, y'all, y'all don't do this. That, that'd be another show. Um, I do want to say the remix of Stilo <laughs> was the first commercial production that Timbaland actually got out under his own oh. name. Oh. Out of, the, out of the basement? Out of the basement, yeah. We <laughs> uh, didn't have Devontae slatter, name slattered all over it ahead of his or instead of his. Uh, exactly. ne- next up is Tyrone by Erica Badu. Tyrone comes from her yeah. second album, which is a live album, Erica Badu Live. Now, this song I chose because I didn't choose. I didn't choose I on and on because this song was the one that set people off back in the day. Everybody talking about every woman that you know, every girl that I knew because I was still a teenager was always t- telling boys, "You better call Tyrone," you know, and singing <laughs> the song and everything mm-hmm. in the hallway. And shit. Wait, so question, Brandon? Did mm-hmm. the so her first album was not. Motown. Was the live no, no, the first album, Motown? Wasn't the first album? Wasn't Baduism Motown? No. Baduism is under Kadar by himself. Okay. They didn't pick it up? Oh, I don't know. Let me look it up. But that's what I'm trying to figure out. Was her first album on Motown, was it actually um, uh, Mama's Gun or was it the live album? Let me take a look. Hold on. Her first album on Motown was, was Mama's the, Gun. Uh, Mama's Gun. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's what I wondered. Yeah. So when Kedar had his label, he's the at the time he's the president of Motown during this period. That's why I put this on here. Yeah, uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll let it slide. <laughs> we'll let it. Yeah, this is under Kedar Universal. Right. If not this, just imagine I put um Bag Lady on here instead, which I almost did at one point. Well, uh, I mean, I was gonna ask you, but I figured you going by number one, but I'm gonna say out of Mama's Gun. Okay. I mean, it's the I'm, single. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All right, so I said you pick a singles. All right. Right. Uh, <laughs> next up is Brown Skin by India Ari. Mm. I like that song. I, not, I, I, <laughs> I like that song, though. She's I, here, I, so I don't get fined. She's okay. I mean, she's okay. She was mm. when she, you know, I, 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 I have a conflicted relationship with India Ari because the reasons I don't like her are not really her fault. The reason I don't like Indiari is because this was when Kadar had really put together, like Barry before him, the template of what this neo soul was, was supposed to look like, was supposed to sound like, was supposed to be packaged like, and he gave us a perfectly packaged version of what it was supposed to be. And you got Indiari, and I'm like, I don't want that prepackaged, great value. No thank you. I'm good. Mm, mm, mm. I know. Great value, wow. That's, I shouldn't that's, say great value, but 
I'm just I was thinking something that was a package. So you basically calling Indiari the Walmart of of Neo, Neo Soul. Maybe not the Walmart, but she does. She like <laughs> she like the Marie Callenders. Like it's good, but it's still packaged. Not <laughs> Jesus Christ! Because hey, Marie Callender Popeyes is the shit. It's hella good. Speaking I of, love her, I love the lasagna too. Speaking of prepackaged Neo Soul, we have Love Calls by Kim. <sighs> I had great sex in Al, Al Jr. <laughs> Carolyn! <laughs> oh my God, Carolyn. <laughs> you watch the, watch no, no, the no, don't, 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 don't shave, but I just think it's hilarious. <laughs> like this song? <laughs> that one? Okay. <laughs> look, look, hey, Love Calls really is the jam, though. No, I ain't that really run. is a sexy ass song. You sitting out in front of the bay or at the pier in the car. Yeah, child. That is a that is a sexy song. I'm not going to yeah. front. And then the last yeah. one of the chronological list is Motorsport by Migos featuring Cardi B and Nicki Minaj. Uh, Migos is on Motown? Yep. Quality Control Records yeah. is released. It's distributed through Motown. Carolyn, I saw the documentary last night, and they had this dude named Coach K from Quality Control Music. I'm like, who the fuck is that? Who is yep. that? Migos' right. boss. He's Migos' boss. I'm like, what the fuck? They they just told me today, Brandon and them. I'm Way like, take off and offset our Motown artists. Oh God, they go the legacy. They go put them into the um the um the, the photo compilation with Diana and the Supreme. The legacy. Now, is, this, is this the part where I get to talk about Motown gospel and ask all the questions that nobody got answers to? Yes, go ahead now. So okay, my sister had turned me on to this new Motown gospel because my favorite gospel artist. For the last 30 years, Ricky Dillard has been signed. His new album that's coming out in, or he's being recorded in September is on Motown Gospel. Now, if you know gospel, Ricky Dillard started in, in the old days on, uh, um, 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 uh, what's my favorite old school gospel stadium? All they tape was white. You know what I'm talking about. Malico. He was starting on Malico, on the light record, all that, but now he's on Motown Gospel. So then we went looking. They got Ricky Dillard. They got Tasha Cobb. They got Lexi. And now I'm looking when I looked it up to see like who else is on Motown Gospel. They got a apparently they got an album that's coming out. And I don't know if all these artists that are on here are have all I, I feel like Motown must have bought a la- a gospel label. Cause I mean they just suddenly got a whole roster. They got they got Ty uh Tribbett. They got Micah Stampley. They got like all the like all the current Contemporary gospel artist Ricky Dillon, not contemporary. So I don't know if they. I'll have to look into this further, y'all. But I, I don't. I think they might have bought. Oh. Oh my God, Lexi RC. is on here. Yeah, they might have bought RCA because when I look at the search, it's because RCA comes up Dream oh, Records. So they must have so bought that's up a bunch who of Gene Moore is. Okay. Yeah, I've been seeing ads for Gene Moore on my Instagram. Like, who is this man? Like, who is this? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That's who he is. Okay. Brian Courtney Wilson, Gene mm-hmm. Moore, uh, Gerard and Jovan, Ty Tribbett, Lord Jesus. Like, Ty, think- Tasha Cobbs Leonard and Lexi. They're all oh, wait, signed. Oh, here's an article about it. Okay, USA Today, a potent new record label has been christened with has been christened with a legendary Detroit name, Motown. God, God damn it, USA Today. All these. Let's see. Uh, oh yeah. So here's what it is. Motown Gospel launched Tuesday 
following the recent merger of Universal Music and EMI. So they bought out basically all those little subsidiaries under Universal, all the gospel labels. And now they under Motown Gospel. Hallelujah. That's crazy. They used to have a gospel, <laughs> some gospel labels back in the day. They never really sold much, but, you know, that's what happens. So the last songs on the playlist are ones I, I wanted to pull out just for certain reasons. Uh... Love's Gone Bad by Chris Clark. We already mentioned Chris Clark. I, it was there so I could mention her and her hiding in the closet and all that kind of stuff. We already talked about all that. Um, I don't know if you know, Carolyn, about Chris Clark. She was a white woman on Motown back in the 60s. Barry Gordy was I've cheating. heard about her. I just didn't know what she did. She slept with Barry Gordy. She did Barry. Oh. <laughs> Is that Kennedy's mama? Because ain't Kennedy's mama white? I don't think she's Kennedy's mama, no. Oh. Uh, Brandon, I love you, man. <laughs> uh, uh, next up is More Love by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Mm. Now, a lot of one problem with Motown set up in that basement, no matter how much the how good the tech guy is always that ballots, like ballot ballots, like slow ballots never really quite worked in the 60s for Motown. No, like, they didn't. Mid tempo and up is what worked for them. So most of the ballads, like even like the ones that work, like you all need to get by, have heavy beats to them. Anything mm-hmm. that was smooth, sort of kind of, it betrayed the fact that it was recorded in somebody's basement. Uh, yeah. More love for kind of that reason. It was actually recorded in Los Angeles by Carol yep. Kane and the Wrecking Crew and all of that. Um, and so it's an example of one of these Motown songs that was not recorded in Detroit from back in the day. And it was written um, by Smokey for Claudette because she had had another miscarriage at the time when he mm, wrote it. Yeah. So it's dedicated to her. Uh, the next two songs are the same song. We already mentioned this sort of the, the uh, I heard it, the grapevine brouhaha between the Glass Night and the Pips version and the Marvin Gaye version. I uh, just wanted to make sure I had them here in case we didn't cover that during the history thing. But yeah, we mm-hmm. talked about that. Uh, next up is Love Child by Diana Ross and the Supremes, which is a um, a lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love Child is a song recorded by Diana Ross with the Andantes on backup. No Supremes no, outside of Diane is on there. Right, because uh, Mary Wilson um, said that like she wanted to take a week off and... Um, Barry said, we're working on a song. Y'all can record it when I get back. And they did. And they recorded it while she was gone. And I guess they just didn't decide to call Cindy. Uh, well, the, the, the idea was that Barry was in the process of trying to move in moving Diana to a solo act. It was the idea of a, a proof of life that she didn't actually need those two background vocalists anymore. She could work with pretty much anybody they had. Right. And that was the proof of life with it. The Supremes, of course, would still perform it live at, or in appearances, but from actually technically starting from, uh, I think it's Reflections. It's not Reflections. Is the uh, it's actually In and Out of Love is the last one with them on it. It's for, yeah, Forever Came the Day is the first one where there's no Supremes yeah. on it. Because the idea yeah. also is that if they found a single that worked for Diana's first solo song, they can't have Supremes actually on it, and they don't exactly. have like so that was so that was the idea. So the Supremes are not on Love Child. They are not on. So they will be together. Yeah. Um, they're not on I'm Living in Shame. Right. They're not on Living in Shame. They're not on The Composer. None of that 68, 69 stuff they're on. None of it. Not a single record. Um, even They're not even on Someday We'll Be Together, which yep. is the last yep. song. <laughs> on they're that not. one, it's the Water Sisters. 
Um, Julia yeah. Maxine, not to say Maxine Waters, who's now the, the senator from, I mean, the <laughs> state rep, the representative. I, was, I have a question for you, and Brandon. Under 20 feet and below isn't the male vocal on that Johnny Bristol? Yes, it is, because he's the producer. And yeah. Diana, he, Diana was not giving the performance that he wanted because she was still coached doing it pop. He coached her to do and get more blacker, for lack of a better term. And they kept the coach vocal. Right. I have a question for you, Brandon, because mm-hmm. um, you, you, you've you talked about the Andantes um, in very interesting detail, even down to the Deborah Killings joke I made right. earlier. We should actually mention um, their names as well, but go ahead. I'll, I'll look it up. I, I did want to know their names, but my question to you was, have they ever um, had their own record? They had on- one single on their own in 1964. Yeah, um, it was, well, uh, I guess. Yeah. It was the, called Like a Nightmare. Yeah. And actually, that, that was one of the ones that was off of, I think, one of those uh, Cellar Full of Motown albums, too. Yes, it's on there. But uh, it was uh, Jackie Hicks, Marlene Barrow, and actually the, the actual sort of person that coordinated their vocal was Lou Van Demps. Right. Uh, and they sang vocals. They, they, it's them on a, a lot of background of Marvin stuff in the mid-60s. And of course, as, as mentioned before, heavy on the four top stuff mm-hmm. and... And doing the re-sings on the um, the Marvelette stuff where it was kind of rough around the edges and the harmonies weren't where they should have been. Right. And there are certain Supreme songs that's come to light in later years. These are, there were allegedly, it's not Florence, it's Marlene yeah. Vera instead. Yeah. For example, You Can't Hurry Love and um, My World is Empty Without You, which yeah. when I read that, I was like, that's impossible. But apparently that it's quite possible. You yeah. can't hurry love. That's not Florence Ballard on that song, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you fucking yeah. imagine? And 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 quite a bit of the and uh, of the 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 technical last classic Supremes album, the Supreme Sing Holland Dozier Holland. There's a lot um, of Andantes on that album. A lot. Yep. 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 Uh next up is Stoned Love by the Supremes. So of course, Woo! like the Supremes, 1970. Why isn't it Diana Ross and the Supremes? Because Diana. They finally found the song they wanted to take Diana solo. It's re- is reach out and touch somebody's hand, and so they pulled her out of the group, and they brought in Jean Terrell, who was a uh, boxer Ernie Terrell's sister, yeah. uh, who was a great singer, um, who like sounded like you know quote unquote blacker than Diana did. They brought her in. Um, the problem was that Barry Gordy wanted Cyrie to write to be yeah. her replacement. Cyrie to write, Diana Ross sound alike. Yeah, they they both had that high reedy sound. Yes, and and uh, Jean had a high sound, but she also had a bit more power behind her voice. Yes, she did. Uh, and when um, Mary Wilson refused to, because like the what Mary tells us is that Barry Gordy called her in the middle of the night after they did their final Vegas show, where they introduced Jean to the audience and said, "I don't like got her. a new singer." You're like, <laughs> um, it should be Sorry to Write. Uh, and Mary said, "No, we just introduced her to the world. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to do that." And Barry said, "Fine." Then I washed my hands of the group. Now that might be dramatic yeah. oh. Mary Wilson shit that she made up for her book, perhaps. But it might have actually happened. I don't know. But- it, I think it actually kind of did because maybe at that point they lapsed back. They started bouncing around production wise. I think Smokey produced them. Yeah, and stuff like that. They, they 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 were no longer the Supremes went from being the pinnacle of Motown to. Not a priority. Yeah, Frank Wilson tried to hold on to them for a while. They did some stuff with Smokey yeah. as well, but they never became popular as they were. They did have four hits in the early 70s before they sort of kind mm-hmm. of fell completely off. They had Up the Ladder to the Roof, 
Nathan Jones, Floyd Joy, and this song, which is my favorite of theirs, so the 70s Supremes. It's a very nice yeah. song written by Frank Wilson and a teenager named Kenny Thomas. Mm-hmm. Um, in by Detroit. the way, by the way, I also just heard about this like in the last month. Mm-hmm. Cherie Fort Payne and Suze Green, who were replacement Supremes, yep, tried to do tried to do a, a last group in the late a 70s. Uh, Cherie and Suze. They yeah, but that well, it was almost going to be a Supremes album, but Mary didn't want to do it. Right. So they ended up doing a duo album, and it's produced by Eugene McDaniels. Right. And Sherry could sing her ass off because Sherry was the lead singer for Glass House with Holland Dozier Holland over there. I did not right. know that. I forgot I to mention the whole Holland Dozier Holland quitting thing. Yeah, they quit Motown in nineteen sixty um seven, sixty-eight. It's the when they quit because they just sort of kind of disappeared and it didn't They come went back. on strike, actually, is what they did initially to get their money for because Barry, uh, they, they wanted to check the, the accounting. Barry was like, well, I'll get around to it. And the more that Barry delayed, it was very apparent that... Uh, it was, was on some, purpose. It was, yeah, because they, they weren't getting their money. So Holland Dozier Holland went on strike in basically late 1966. And it had an immediate impact uh, because, of course, you had the last album, which was um, uh, the Supreme Sing, Holland Dozier Holland, and then there's no more Holland Dozier Holland productions outside of the Reflection song itself. It impacted the four tops dramatically because they were writing everything for the tops. Right. And then the next tops album was Yesterday's Dreams, I think it was, and that yeah. only had one Holland Dozier Holland song on it. It might have been is, two, I, but it's not a lot. I'm I'm in a different world was the was the, one of the last ones on there, but it it, it upset the balance because 68, 69 was it wasn't a tough time at Motown, but without Holland Dozier Holland that you you they were working the- harder to make it not a tough time. That's when Barry exactly. Gordy, uh, Lot, um, um, Sylvia Moy, and Frank Wilson and them in a room imitate. We're going to be the clan. We're going to write "Love Child." We're not leaving this um, hotel room until we get the song out. It's a hit a song, lot of that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the interesting thing that happened with Holland Dozier, Holland was because it, during the the legal contretemps between them and, and Barry. They were basically precluded from putting anything out under right. their so, name so, elsewhere. So to explain that a little bit, Holland Dozier Holland sued Motown to get out of the contract. Motown sued them back for breach of contract. They stayed in court for decades. And but during the first part of this, from 68 to about 72, they were legally in um unable to use the name Holland Dozier Holland or their names as songwriters. So what uh, go ahead, go ahead, Yusuf. So what they did was they started using, I believe, uh, uh, the names of uh, uh, Edith Wayne, which I think was one of their mothers, as the, to keep the money in the family, and Ronald Dunbar, and of course, folks like uh, uh, General Johnson and people helping it out. But what they did was they wrote under pseudonyms to keep that money in the family. And right. That's where you got Band of Gold, Bring the Boys Home, Give Me Just a Little More Time. Yeah. These are songs, and if, if you listen to those songs, those they're those Holland, songs. those are Holland songs. They, they okay, wait, hold up. They're hold written up. and produced. Hold on, I explain. They're written and produced for their own labels, Invictus Records and Hot Wax Records, and they signed Peter right. Payne, the chairman of the board, but, and all of that. But but those songs could have just as they were in the Motown continuity because if you listen to "Give Me Just a Little More Time," as I was telling uh, uh, Brandon here just the other day, it's the Four Tops yes, record. It's a four. It's a Four Tops record. Jim, the guy, the guy doing uh, the lead on that is basically doing a Levi Stubbs impersonation. Right, General Johnson. So wait a minute, hold on. The Invictus Hot Wax Records were That's originally. That's Holland. I, I know it. I know it's them, but I, it was it was not done under their names initially. It, it couldn't be initially while the 
they couldn't be listed under it as the songwriters. They were able to perform, and they did songs under uh, performing under their names. But uh, because of the legal the legal issues, they were they were they were bound basically almost like a non compete with Motown. Right. If you look the at Holland Dozier, yeah, you look at so the old late. the original like you get like an original copy of one of those old songs, like a forty five mm-hmm. or the album. You'll see yeah. Wayne Dunbar, Wayne Dunbar, uh, Wayne down Dunbar. the spine of it. Yeah, it's they they did it under pseudonyms to right. get the work out there. Everybody knew who it was. Wow. And and and, and, and a lot and, and and the Funk Brothers are on a lot of that stuff too. But you know, it's just uh, just to get out from up under the legal uh, press for that, they had to credit things differently. Right. This is actually interesting. Uh, the same auspices under which. Stevie produced Minnie's first or Minnie's second album. Minnie Ripperton. Minnie Ripperton's second album because he couldn't do it contractually as Stevie, so he did it under the pseudonym El Toro Negro. Exactly, yeah. You okay. do, it's, 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 you know, it's, that's exactly what had to be done. And uh, if you listen to that, that, that Invictus Hot Wax stuff, it's like you, you almost, if, in, in, a, in a what if universe, because Technically, it was the Motown sound, but it was a more, it was a matured sixty-seven Holland, it. yeah, sixty-six, sixty-seven Holland Dozier Holland was actually starting to do some really impressive stuff. They were they had gone from the formulaic stuff from sixty-four, sixty-five, where take it to another place. What they were doing in sixty-eight, sixty-nine, seventy with uh, uh, the the Invictus stuff was moving to a whole other place. So you often wonder what if Barry just said, "Okay, here's your money, boys. Let's get ourselves back together." How does Motown's history change? How does how, how does it change? It, yeah, you, it's a very it, it could have stagnated, but I they were going in a different direction, and it was it's one of the great what ifs of music history to me. Yeah, it is uh, interesting. Next up on the list, we have uh, "Smiley Faces Sometimes" by oh! Undisputed Truth. Uh, Undisputed Truth was, was a group that Norman Whitfield put together to record songs. He basically used them as the testing ground for his songs because he was very fond, as the documentary states, of recording songs multiple times by multiple artists. And so a lot of times he used the Undisputed Truth to record songs first or to do new versions of songs he already had. As an example of this, the original version of Smiling Faces sometimes was 12 minutes long on a Temptations album. Um... It sounds entirely different. Yep. He took it, reduced it down to three minutes, gave it to the Undisputed Truth. Is this version that people know or are familiar with instead? I think Rare Earth did a version, too. Everybody did a version. <laughs> oh, I'll be down. Speaking of everybody did a version, Papa Was a Rolling Stone by The Temptations was originally an Undisputed Truth song. <laughs> yep. They put it out first, as a matter of fact, as a single. It didn't do well. Really? Um, yes. Yeah. Uh, when Norman Whitfield put together this version for The Temptations, they hated it. They did not want to sing it. Uh, the movie dramatizes that a little bit. Um, but, you know, Norman Whitfield forced him to sing it. Had Dennis Edwards do his lead vocal 900 times until he he got all the shout out of Dennis. And he's just like, it was the first third of September. <laughs> I, th- I think... Question, is, is, that, is that legend true? It's not true. It's not it's his not true fa- his, that his father didn't die on that no. day. No, his father died on the third of October. Oh, okay. I've been wondering about that. Right. Okay. If you listen to our earlier episode of this show, uh, we've discovered that Ali was born on the third of September. 
<laughs> we did him a little remix of Papa Was a Rolling Stone. <laughs> oh my God, that's horrible. Wow. That's, that's horrible. <laughs> it was called Ollie Al- Was an wrong. Island Boy. I'm Ox- not going to do- an anime he enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, now I know when your birthday is, Ali. <laughs> Get him a present. It's next week. Uh, <laughs> next up is Do It, Baby, by The Miracles. So Smokey mm. Robinson quit The Miracles in 1972. He's going to quit earlier, but the UK made their 67 song, Tears of a Cloud, into a hit three years later. And so he stayed on to do the touring that would come with that. He finally quit in 72. He was going to retire from reforming and just be the vice president of Motown. As we know, that that's not what he actually did. But to replace him, they hired a boy. I think he was still under 21 when they hired him, or he had maybe just turned 21, named Billy Griffin to be the new mm-hmm. singer of the Miracles. Billy Griffin was the singer, was one of the lead singers of a group called the Young Tips out of Washington, D.C., who Motown came down and said, change the name. They changed it to the Young Vandals. It was Billy Griffin and his friend Otis Harris. Mm-hmm. Now, Billy Griffin was a Smokey Robinson fan who did a perfect Smokey imitation. Yep. And so they brought him into the Miracles to be the new Smokey. And he seemed Kinda to like the way song. James Harris did that perfect uh, right. impersonation with right. attempts. The funny thing is his name was apparently was Otis Harris. He did a perfect Eddie Kendrick's impersonation. They hired mm-hmm. him to be in the Temptations and Otis said, change your name. <laughs> yeah. There you go. The Miracles had a really good album in, was that 72, called City of Angels? 75, oh, 75. The City of Angels album is legend. Right. Yeah, legend. with Ain't Nobody Straight in L.A. on it. Yeah, and Love LA? Machine is where the, is the, biggest, the biggest hit of their careers is Love Machine. And the interesting thing is, because Billy, when he came to the Temptations, he brought his brother Donald who replaced Marv Tarplin uh, as the guitar player for the Miracle because Marv went along with Smokey. Right. But yeah, Do It Maybe mm. is um, a great song. And, you know, I just did, what, did make sure I mentioned Billy Griffin and that whole Young Temps thing. Like, Temptations, like, fanboy band where, you know, they got to live their fanboy dream. So, you know. His name sounds familiar. Like, he was part of another something. Is Billy Griffin, he, he discovered somebody else, I think. I'm not sure. I never heard. Yeah, of that. I was just reading about him, Billy Griffin. Yeah, he was. In, no, wait. It, it'll it'll come to me in a minute. I I I may move forward though. Um, Go on, please. Uh, next up is "I Choose You" by Willie Hutch. We mentioned Willie Hutch before. Um, you know, he was doing. This is from the soundtrack to the Mac. <laughs> yeah. I would like to say another song that I listen to every day to get my swag back is um, <laughs> not this song, but the song by UGK. Uh, Inter- yeah, International, International Players Anthem. Yeah. Players Anthem. Which samples, samples this song. Yeah. With, every day. With, every yeah, day. with Andre 3000 on it. And yeah. Big Boy. Yes. Uh, yeah. And also, the, and also, really, Hutch was like the like the GOAT, like soundtrack producer, and the Mac was here. Yep. yep. The, the Mac and the Last Dragon. And yes. And Foxy yes. Brown. But he did some of Foxy Brown. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Were they all yep. on Motown? Yep. All three of those. Poof. Yeah. Yep. After that, really we have that um, dude, man. Yep. We have Shoo Shoo Shine by the Dynamic oh. Superiors. 
We already mentioned Tony Washington being openly gay, performing in drag sometimes, which was very unusual. But, you know. What did Barry think about that? Does anybody I don't know. know. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you what my father thought about it because Uh-oh. they were on a, they were on a, a, a music show uh, here in New York. And, you know, we, we're like, oh, this all su-, and we're all sitting in the living room watching it. And my father, he's like, and my, about a third of the way this is on, my father goes, what the fuck is this? Because <laughs> oh, understand something, uh, he was flam. Uh, in, I mean, he had the crop, the, the crop little nylon tops with the, the tied at the waist and everything. And he was in a, a ridiculously, but great singer. But at that time, I mean, very flamboyant. And my father was just like, Am I, "Y'all watching the same thing I'm watching? He's, he's just, he is just out here." <laughs> Shine used to cost a dime. Because Tony whipped off the, he had the, the scarf tied around it, and he whipped the scarf off and flicked it in the air. What it was, it was that song is, and that's a, that's a that's a Ashford and Simpson song too. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, they they mm. wrote produced the whole first album. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, next up is I'm coming out. Speaking of the gays, I'm coming out by Diana ah, Ross. Shut up, shut up Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was literally written in tribute to Studio 54 and the drag queen. So, I mean... I believe it. Yeah. Shout out to Sheik on the production. Yeah. Yep. So, at, I put the original Sheik mix on the playlist for that oh, reason. So, so, you must... So you must have gotten it from the the the, the Diana album, the extended with all the extra stuff. On yes. It. Yeah. Oh, that's the. So the story behind the Diana album, I think I might have told it in the older episode, but really quickly, um, it's a, it was recorded by Sheik, you know, um, Bernard Edwards and Nile Rogers, um, as a disco album in late '79, early 1980. Uh, disco died while they were recording it. <laughs> you know, the death of disco, disco demolition night. Um, you know. But- all that kind of stuff. Not so much. Not so much died, but was because it. As far as I, I lived it, it didn't die. It just it just morphed into something called club. But but corporate wise, in terms of being marketed as disco, it was it was killed right then and there. I yeah. mean, I they mean, always say disco went underground and came back as house music. It, it didn't even go underground. It just it just became club. In 1978, here in New York, there was a station called 99X, and at the height of the BG's popularity. They did a thing called a 99 and 44 100% BG free weekend. They basically said we're going to play nothing from the Staying Alive album because it was so, white folks got so upset about disco. Even the fact that it was white folks doing it, they could not deal with it. So that was the, that was when I knew that was, the death knell was coming. And, well, so, and somebody, somebody wrote a great article and I was trying to find it. I'm sure after we finished, oh, here, here it is called Disco Demolition. The night yeah. they tried to crush black music. Yeah, July '79 at a baseball game, they came out and started destroying disco records on the field. It came and, out and burned the damn and damn near burned the stadium down <laughs> to the point where they had to forfeit the game because they couldn't play the next one because the field was all torn. But what happened was was that when disco was being sort of trashed in uh, in terms of a, as a pop culture sort of thing, they pulled the Diana the, the Sheik produced version back, and I believe they went back in and 
and remastered and remixed. The it, rumor, what I've heard is that Diana was showing, or was playing the original version. They were playing it at like a showcase for journalists so they could review it. Mm-hmm. Somebody pulled her aside and said, yo, this album is Super Disco 9000. It's going to come out. You're going to flop because disco is dying, you know, out here. You know, we're like, you know, we're not pushing it anymore. And so the rumor I've heard is that Diana and Ross Tanera, the longtime Motown um, engineer, engineer, snuck mm-hmm. the tapes out of Motown. Went to a different studio and did the remixes, and she re-recorded all her lead vocals because they are all entirely different on the release. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of the songs were sped up, some were slowed down. A lot of instruments were taken mm-hmm. out. She heard the album, swore never to work for Diana again. But money talks, and they had to in the future. But they don't like the version that came out, and it took Motown twenty years to put out the proper version. By the way, that album also features a wonderful little. Reprise, uh, uh, Holland Dozier, Holland, uh, working with Diana again on uh, We Can Never Light That Flame Again. Right, so, the extended one, yeah. Extended one, beautiful production on that. Uh, next up is Fire and Desire by Rick James and Tina Marie, which I put Fire here because it's, it's, you know, it's one of them old songs that everybody knows and loves. Whose album was that on? That was on Rick's album. It was a Rick's right? album. It's on Street Songs, his um, right. album. Right, this Street is, Songs. Th- this is not a knock on Rick. But you don't have to be a great singer to do that in karaoke. No, you just gotta, you just, you just have to feel it. If you That's feel true. it, you can do it. You That's might have to true. be a good or a singer to do Tina's part, but <laughs> See, yeah. no, you're you not hitting that note, that opening part. note, that love. Yeah. I can't even do it. Yeah. <laughs> but Rick stuff, you know, that's what I used to do. Used and abused. Yep. <laughs> you just gotta feel it. That's all. Right. And the last one I put, I actually put this on here to. Quasi troll Latria a little bit because we t- had mentioned Uh-oh. it in an earlier episode. It's Listen to Your Man by Chico DeBarge and Joe. Ugh. Hey. <laughs> uh. you, you, Speaking of the, oh, I'm sorry, never mind. Not No Guarantees by, by Chico and Joe? That was a better one. First of all, that whole album, talk about sex songs. But, um, not I Like I, My Body, I Think I'm Cute. Not that one, no. no. I really I, give you what you are. <laughs> You talking about you talking about the uh, are we talking about the uh, Chico album from ninety seven ninety nine the game oh no oh they talking about the game I'm talking about long time no see yeah long time no see about faded pictures that was the faded pictures was two thousand three that's post jail I'm I'm really just talking about faded pictures wasn't two thousand three faded pictures was before listen to your man faded pictures had to be ninety six ninety seven yeah yeah you talking about faded pictures by case faded pictures. Faded pictures by Case and Joe. That oh, was oh, I'm mixing up. I'm mixing up some. I'm mixing yeah, up songs that feature Joe. My bad. My bad. My bad. It's late. It's, it's one o'clock in the morning, y'all. You gotta- <laughs> side, note, side note: Since we mentioned Joe, and I haven't watched it yet, but I've heard that they took him off of the theme song of Power, and the whole internet is ablaze. Mm. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know what we mean about that. Shout out to Joe for being on the theme song of Power before this. I didn't know he was. Oh, you know, you heard people sing the big rich song, um, town song. Come on. I I don't know anybody besides Yahoo that watches Power. I haven't watched Power either. I'm sorry. I just. Oh, my goodness. What is going on in the world? Okay. It's on on premium cable. No, Mm -hmm. I have premium cable and I've seen about a third of an episode of it. And I was just like, Power is. It's, it's everything. Anyway, go ahead. Finish your finish your. Well, that's it. That's actually the last song. Um, 
I don't. Does anybody have any questions before we wrap up? I think we've answered everything. <laughs> I think we've got this. this one. This I is probably once, better than the documentary. Uh, I, I'm is. certain. It's certainly longer. <laughs> I had one one minor footnote I'd like to throw we out. We beat the Aretha shit, definitely. Go ahead, Greg. We did. <laughs> um, I'll try to wrap this up as quick as possible and not go into too much detail, but Motown had several subsidiaries. Oh, yeah, a bunch. Like I, I mentioned a couple. I mentioned the Tamla. I mentioned Gory. I mentioned um, the main Motown thing. I mentioned VIP. So, Rare Earth, there was Checkmate that did, um, I believe it did Country and Western for a little while. There, there was, was Black Forum. Black that Forum. That Black out. Forum put out Martin uh, Luther King's speech. Yeah. Yeah. But Martin Luther King's speeches and other like... um like um, One of the most interesting work. ones, one of the most interesting ones that I found out about a couple years back was Natural Resources. Oh, yes. yes. Natural Resources put out an album by a group called Earth Choir. Mm-hmm. Earth that Choir... Was- had Tata Vega as a member. Yeah. Who's Tata, Tata Vega? Tata Vega is the singing voice of Suge Avery in The Color Purple. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. The album came out in 1972, and she's on it. And she's on that album. If as... you watch 20 Feet from Stardom, <clears throat> Tata Vega is in there. Okay. Yeah, she... But she doesn't... Nobody ever talks about Earth Choir at all. The, I, found, the... I found it on The Humble. The other interesting thing to know about Motown as a little uh, throwing tidbits here is that, of course, he had all the big acts here, but they also had lots of secondary acts. And they were also known for bringing in like stars from TV. Paul Peterson from um, the Donna Reed show recorded on Motown. Irene Ryan, Granny from freaking Beverly Hillbillies did an album. Really? For Motown? Yes. Get out. Sammy Davis I, Jr. I, recorded for him in Little Bow in the 1970s. Of course. Hello, um, Detroit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Barbara McNair yep. uh, as well. There were lots of lots of interesting other yep. things. We mentioned Barbara, Barbara Randolph as well. Is Barbara yeah. McNair related to Ronnie McNair? No. No, no. I, okay. I don't think she is. No. I don't okay. think so. But because uh, Barbara was basically a black cabaret singer. She was basically like an American Shirley Bassey. Yeah, and she was, she was very big on the variety show circuit, and Motown was like, "Well, let's get in on that because she's already in there." But it never really took off for her. I think even Bobby Darren recorded an album for Motown. Sounds um, right. The Mac uh, Knife dude. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, so it was very interesting the, the things they were doing, and then also going back to those sub acts, those acts people like the the Monitors. The Elgins. Yeah, the Monitors uh, um, was the group led by Richard Street, who was a former proto-Temptation and then a later actual Temptation. They had a song called Grease, this is Mr. Sam, which is really nice. The Elgins were a group that were in the mid-60s. They had a great song I love called Heaven Must Have Sent You. Mm -hmm. Um, Very nice um, sound they had. Um, The Velvelettes, we did, you know. The Velvelettes. They had a uh, needle in a haystack, which a bunch of white people have covered since then. Uh, Blinky, also all sorts of these, these 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 sort of second and third tier acts, the ones that actually basically made their money uh, opening on the Motown or the Motortown Review. Yeah, that's the last thing us- we should mention before we close out. Yes. So the Motortown Review. So in the early days, they would send the artists out, all of the artists on, on the road bus. on on one bus called the Motortown Review. And this is where the like the historical part comes into because like they're on a bus traveling through these like much of the South. You know, they're doing shows in the north and the west too, but mostly they're in the south because that's where the Chitlin circuit was. During yeah. the same time as the Freedom Riders. During the same yeah. time as the Freedom Riders. So 
their bus Mark. is mistaken more than once for a Freedom Rider bus and is shot at by people who think they're, you know, they're white people trying to integrate the South. But even still, when they knew who they were, they still were shooting at the bus because it's, you know, black people on the bus, you know, so making I, money. So folks who've only seen the Temptation bus was movie, it's the part where David throw the, throw the rock, talking about he gonna, he gonna get right. <laughs> right, like they went through a lot of things down there. There was a point where they were performing in one city, one city. I think it was um, uh, South Carolina. I think it was Columbia, where some um, white, um, you know, like rowdy white racist people circled the stage while the Temptations were performing, and the tops were. And they had to sort of kind of surround the stage, and then they reversed it. Temptations um, guarding the stage while the tops performed. Mm-hmm. Um, they were shot at for trying to go to the toilet. Um, there's a point where, like, um, they were, like, uh, camped out by a jail and the, dude, the black dudes in the jail were, like, you know, like, hey, what's up? What's y'all doing over there? And they, <laughs> they were, like, don't mess with them niggas over there. They in the, you don't be in jail with them. <laughs> um, in the documentary, um, Duke Fahir from the Four Tops mentions coming to Atlanta and going into the white waiting, waiting um, station at the bus stop by accident and having a gun put on him by a sheriff immediately. Yep. Like, and the other thing they mentioned, of course, is the rope. So in a lot of the South, when you performed at a concert, um, black people and white people were segregated in those days. And so if they didn't sit, like, either, like, on the floor, white people in balcony for black people, they would have yeah. a rope coming down the middle of the venue that you could not cross. It was guarded. Mm-hmm. With, but with armed personnel. With armed personnel. And so a lot of the Motown artists, you know, like they saw that rope. Because a lot of them were born in the South. Like Mary Wilson's from Mississippi and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they reminded them of that life that they had left behind. You know, and so it, the funny, the best thing about Motown that you can say, like, you know, we talk a lot about Barry Gordy and how he bent over backwards for white people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he did some crooked things. But one thing you can say is, I mean, like, they might have done it in some very unscrupulous ways, but they did do some sort of a service to integration or whatever. And one thing they always say is that as they went back to the South year after year, they saw that rope disappear from more and more venues until Absolutely. it was gone completely. And everybody just danced together. For all the bad that Barry did, Barry did save a lot of people. Yes. he did. I, yeah. I, so, I mean, it's it's kind of, and, and I didn't it's mean... It's very complicated. It's really I didn't mean to disrespect his legacy earlier. Oh, no, no. Z compliment. But uh, the Jay-Z connection, but he saved a lot of people. And um, in the thick of where Barry was working, doing his most work, there was a heavy racial contingent. Mm -hmm. And Barry just did his work and did his best to try to sort of assuage things, uh, try to make things equal as best as he could. Mm -hmm. And in the process, still try to make money. So, I mean, it, I don't disrespect his legacy at all, but it's a lot of different Absolutely. ifs and skips in that whole story that need to be told. Yes, there are. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. all really about deco- decolonizing a situation and a process. Like, on the one hand, yes, he did create the blueprint of the of, of what can be seen as a very toxic blueprint of what it means to cross over. But at the same time, that was, you know... The idea and the goal was to get us in spaces that we couldn't get into. And we have to remember that that generation has a different idea of what that looks like versus right. this generation because they had to. So it's kind of like the thing where 
you know, older folks don't understand us being like, I mean, they, they did demonstrations, but they don't understand demonstrations and stuff the way that we do it. They don't understand the way that we talk about white supremacy, the way that we do, you know, in, you know, public spaces or on like internet right. and everything. Cause to, to them, you supposed to just like, you know, get your seat at the table and try and do things that way. They don't understand the concept of smashing the table. And so, see, you know, and, and, and I, I, I frankly, I get, I get upset a lot when a lot of these new young kids start pulling this. Uh, we are not, we our, are not ancestors. our ancestors. No, yeah, there you go. So like, so they have not you, told you. You don't understand the whole story, sis. Like, yeah, there's, there's so our kids much. Don't know history. Like, mm -mm. they don't know history. There's so right. much that we, you know, that we couldn't run from. Right. Because mm -hmm. as much as we, we talked a lot about Diana Ross and the Supremes and the whole thing, all that kind of stuff. But the thing is this Oprah always says this the world for black people stopped in December of 64 when they turned to the Ed Sullivan show and saw three black girls who were not maids on their television mm -hmm. sets. Yeah. Here's what you need to understand that, like, me being the, the oldest person here in the room and, and looking at Jet Magazine back in the day, you go to the back of the go to say, who's going to be on TV this week? You knew you would see if the Supremes, the Temps, they were, they would. You built your week around that because that was a that was an important was an important ass thing. So those, those but this gym doesn't understand representation. Like you yeah, know, so but, many people have so many problems with a lot of our black elected officials. You know, especially with like Kamala and running for president. What I sat in a room today with with one of you know I was in a presentation of, you know about politics. And with folks who do media and imaging consulting, and one of them, she has been working with Kamala on her campaign. She's been out with her on the um, campaign trail, and she talked about how powerful it has been to see like little five-year-old black girls like like run up to Kamala and just start crying. Like these are like five and six-year-old girls who, you know, they don't necessarily understand everything that's going on. All they know is this, this lady is running for president, and she looked just like them. Mm -hmm. Yep, and that yeah. was. And that was a big deal at the time with that, that with those those Motown appearances and then the individual specials. It was, you know, you know, the hell with Mannix this week. We watching we watching TCB. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was it was it was a it was a big, big, big deal. And and the fact that, you know, yes, it may not have been the the greasiest and blackest of productions, but it also wasn't a lot of shucking and jiving either. But you know what? Uh, to your point that you mentioned, uh, for your time period, the Motown 25 and seeing Michael do the moonwalk, yeah. that, that was from my generation. Yeah. I so tell I, people, anybody who was born after Michael Jackson moonwalk is the devil. Sorry, Brandon. <laughs> I was born before. Ali was born after. Oh, so Ali. Sorry. I, you know, because you don't understand. Like, like, they don't understand how, for me, like, not even just the moonwalk, like Motown 25 was when I became obsessed with pop culture. I said this on our 25th episode of the CW show. It's when I became obsessed with pop culture because that was at the time when some of them were either coming back or Motown 25 brought them back. And so to mm -hmm. see them on that stage and then also to see Michael, who was already ascending, but I didn't know that the Jackson 5 exists. I was only three. Was I three or four? I did, so I didn't know that, the, like, when my mom told me that these little kids was like, that's Michael Jackson, I'm like, what? And that's when I became obsessed with, like, this Motown company. So that was a really big, like, a big ass. The moonwalk was a huge thing. Huge thing. I'm, I'm going to tell you a little something here. Imagine being eight years old in 1971 and 
I'm you're riding the school bus back and forth to school every day. And the Jackson Five, since 1977, the Jackson Five had a hit out like seems like every two every two months. Mm. And riding to school every day, and I'm sitting in the back of the school bus. And of course, the Jackson Five, you're you're not supposed to bring a, a transistor radio to school back then, but of course we did. And we're all sitting back there singing Jackson Five songs. And this is gonna sound like a terrible thing to say. Nobody wanted to sing any parts other than Michael's because our voices hadn't changed yet. <laughs> so, imagine an entire back of a school bus fucking up. I'll be there. <laughs> but Michael, Michael was the ultimate represent. Seeing him on TV as a little black boy at the time, being Michael, Michael was, was two years older than me, mm. and that was a big ass thing. That was that was huge for us. You know, to so, this day, to this day, I want a purple fedora and I want a vest. So <laughs> dare I ask, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but mm-hmm. did did his death really impact you hard? Based on it, that, yes, it did. I was wow. I, I was in the worst possible place where you could to find out about it. Um, a place where there were uh, at any given time two hundred computers on the floor, and I was on the floor the moment the news broke, and to see it happen because people were all they were all at computers and it was all popping up on their their computer screens at that moment and gas 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 collective gas people wailing and crying falling out and stuff like that and then oh my every, god and then everybody all of a sudden going to youtube to play his songs simultaneously it was like on 200 different devices it mm. was it was it was one of the it was it was it was almost like seeing a thing go viral, but seeing it actually happen at that moment. That had to be a lot, man. It was, yeah. It was. We had to call EMTs in because people literally fell out. Oh my I god! Guess. So that was a a jar, and and this and then us as employees, people went to back of house and broke down and cried because he was very important to them too. But seeing that happen in the public, in the public sphere. Like that was very, mm. very, 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 very. Um, it was. It was. We still, the, the the few of us who still work at the, at the same at the same store, we're still uh, jarred about that. So that was one of the, the. That was that was crazy. In the day the, the, the day the guy came in with the damn samurai sword, swinging it at people. We didn't care about that. The day Michael <laughs> came was a big day. Uh, wow! It just it was, it was literally seeing a thing go viral at that moment. And uh, freaked us out. That's freaked nuts. us out. And and he's and he's, you know, we can't get into things and documentaries and stuff like that about him that have happened recently because that's crazy. There, but for an entire generation of us folks who were like, you know, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten years old when that stuff was when his stuff was hitting, and he was like, that's who we wanted. We we all wanted to be Mike. That was that was the beginning and end of it. We all wanted to be him, right. and uh, for me, that, that that was, you know, Motown had already existed, but then the fact that it became immediately relative to me, seeing a little black kid as the the ascendant star at the greatest black, the black record label in the history of record labels, really resonated for me. Mm. Okay. Wow. I, I thank you for sharing that. I, I didn't mean any. No, no. It was I, 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 if you heard me pause before it, cause it was 
like I literally had goose flesh and I, it's a moment that I sometimes like, it's like, did that happen? Yeah, that did happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember that. Oof, geez. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, this, thanks. this has been very educational. Ain't it though? I learned stuff from everybody here, man. Yeah. yeah. I hope it's educational for everybody. I hope it's educational for the audience. Um, but I do need to go to bed now, so we got to this up. Um, it's so, nice. Two Carol, parts. <laughs> Carolyn, where can people uh, find you online? They can find me across uh, all social media platforms on Twitter and Instagram as C Dub the Host, and they can find me on Facebook as Dub Carolyn. They can find the C Dub Show across all social media platforms as the C Dub Show, including Spotify. Woo! Yes. Woo! Uh, Greg, I am a host of Treble Free R and B. That's on Mixcloud. Um, look me up there, T R E B L E F R E E. I do a monthly podcast of music. It's a basically a music mix once a month called Treble Free R and B. All right, Yusuf. Uh, you will be um, my brothers of my podcast. The Sixty uh, Minute Men will be debuting sometime in October. Uh, we are recording things for that. Uh, look forward. To, uh, I look forward to seeing you guys there with that. All right. And as for Ian Ali, uh, you can find us at SSMPodcast.com. <laughs> SSM Podcast across all social media. You can find the show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever on great podcasts can be found. This has been the Safety Nice Podcast. I'm Brandon. I'm here with uh, Ali. Good night, everybody. Good night, Ali. Carolyn. Good night, everybody. Greg. Hello and good night. And you, Seth. Love, peace, and hair grease, y'all. All right. We'll see you guys next time. Which, by the way, Brandon, something that I wanted to share with you that did not really fit in the show. Mm -hmm. The Jackson 5 animated cartoon, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. As we were, uh, I was looking it up as we were talking about it. Turns out the the voice who portrayed Michael Jackson in the show. Foster Silvers. Yeah. No, 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 no. Foster Silvers was one of the older Brothers, the Michael Jackson voice is Edmund. Donald is Donald Fully Love, the boy, uh, who as a grown man played the mayor in Back to the Future Part. You one. already oh, know, right, right. okay? You already know, yes. okay? Interesting. Oh. Yeah, I found that interesting. He looked like little. Not that he looked like the little cartoon Michael Jackson. Yeah. And then Edmund Edmund Silvers played Marlon's voice. Edmund, yeah. Edmund, that's right. Edmund did. That's right. right. Yeah, that's Edmund it. Silvers. And I'm just finding out Edmund Silvers was messing around with Freedom Pain. Yes, he was. Well, yeah. That's too From seventy nine, he didn't just didn't he just mess with, he married her. Yeah. Well, I gotta go, y'all. Well, so no. I'll talk to y'all later. Bye, All Carolyn. right, take care, Carolyn. All right, bye.